This week's episode of the Heel Turn Collective Podcast is brought to you by our newest sponsor for the show, the Hold Fast Coffee Company. Hold Fast is based in Colorado Springs, and they have a variety of coffee flavors, including beans from Honduras. What? Costa Rica. What? Guatemala. What? And a slew of other places from around the globe. And right now, if you go visit holdfastcoffeeco.com and use the promo code HEELTURN20, you'll receive 20% off any of your coffee purchases. So make sure the next time you're looking for a coffee brand, go check out Hold Fast Coffee Company, and let's get to this week's episode. You are listening to the Heel Turn Collective Radio Network. Welcome on in. It's week 14 of the Heel Turn Collective Podcast, your flagship show of the Heel Turn Collective Radio Network. And as you heard at the top of the show, we have a new sponsor, Hold Fast Coffee Company. Use that promo code HEELTURN20 and get 20% off your order now. And with that being said, I am flagged by my esteemed co-host once again this week, Shane Douglas Riley. What's going on, buddy? What up, fam? Uh, no, I'm doing good. Um, Chris and I, we uh, my, my lovely wife, we went down to South Fork, Colorado. Mm. um and uh it's cool little like kind of like mountainous town kind of sort of thing uh but we had the worst food in recorded human history there um uh, I, you mentioned it a little gonna, bit to me i'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna name, name drop this place it's the old the old farmhouse or the old firehouse um in my personal experience every time you get food from like some sort of firefighter themed business typically the food's pretty good um this was heinously bad, heinously, hmm. heinously bad. Um, I've never, the, the thing is, okay, you go into a diner, typically burger and fries, you can't mess it up. You know, the, the floor is typically, oh, that was all right. Yeah, it was, it was a burger. Um, so, you know, I was like, what, what could go wrong here? Um, I got something flavorless. Um, I got undercooked bacon, um, like raw bacon. Um, I had French fries that tasted like um, unsugared um, um, uh, funnel cake. Jesus Christ! Spit it out already. Uh, sorry, I'm just, I'm just in a tizzy right now. I'm, I'm a mess, but it was it was horrible. It was legitimately. I, I told Lance, and I'm gonna I'll say it again. I would eat two day old McDonald's burgers ten times out of ten over having a fresh one of those burgers. Listen, listen to Shane taking two minutes to cut a promo on this little fucking mom and pop deli. Well, they fucking work their whole life to get where they are, and, and you're in here fucking just you know cutting the biggest promo of all time. You well, know, maybe should, maybe maybe they should work harder then. Jesus Christ, you know, struggling business, especially in COVID season. Shane's out here leaving Yelp reviews that nobody's going to be able to get over. So, <laughs> congratulations, buddy. Huh. I mean, look, this is the Heel Turn Collective podcast. Yep. We are naturally heels, so yep. I guess that's going to happen from time to time. But, uh, but yeah, so this week we're talking to Vinny Snyder. He's the manager of Hold Fast Coffee Company and just a great dude overall. Um, I really think that uh, we really mold uh, the things that he loves and talk about him well. He's a diehard Cleveland sports fan. We mm-hmm. talk about a lot of that. He's also obviously the manager of a of a just uh, flourishing coffee business. So we're really excited to get into that. Wouldn't you say, Shano? Oh, yeah. Super, super excited about it. 
uh, of course. But I mean, before we get into that, we got a whole slew of things to talk about. We got Slipknot retrospective number four this week. Uh, we're going to be covering All Hope Is Gone, a very controversial record, Slipknot's repertoire, mm-hmm. but uh, nonetheless, still one uh, in the discography. And then obviously, we're going to review in full. Pat McAfee, Adam Cole happened Saturday at NXT 30. And then um, we gonna, we're going to get into some SummerSlam thoughts. I know Shane didn't watch much of SummerSlam, but I did. And I have a few thoughts as a wrestling fan. With all being said, Shane, are you ready to get this party started? Born ready. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's talk some shit and get our asses whipped. Let's rock and roll. So right off the bat, buddy. It's retrospective number four right now. All hope is gone. The Slipknot record that I feel like divided the fan base. Do you think that I am out of turn saying that? No, I'd agree with that. I I definitely agree with that. And I think it's even like in watching some, I've watched, you know, almost every Slipknot autobiography documentary sort of thing. Um, And this is the one that even kind of whenever the band even talks about it, there's kind of a sigh that comes with it. Um, Yeah. But yeah. I mean, this is the this is the album. They're um, famously on the cover. They're all standing in a cornfield. They record this record in Iowa, the which only is the first record that's recorded yes. in Iowa. Absolutely, came out August twentieth, two thousand eight. I mean, you guys know this record uh, from the hits that came from it. Uh, Psychosocial's probably one of their bigger songs. Um, I would say, I would say it's probably one of the bigger Slipknot songs ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you agree with that? One hundred percent. Yep. Yep. And this is also famously the last record that included both Paul Gray and Joey Jordanson. So big changes in the band after this as they go into uh, 0.5, the gray chapter. But I mean, we're talking about All Hope is Gone today. And I mean, right off the bat, a song that really stuck out to me, number three on the record, Sulphur. Mm-hmm. I mean, the double bass in the beginning of that song is fucking ridiculous bro yep like i know you're not the biggest joey jordanson guy you've talked about it before i mean his uh, feet are impressive though yes i mean right here in, in sulfury really shows it off um this record for me though shano I, I i can't believe i'm saying this like Sipnot's probably one of my favorite bands this record was a very big miss for me um this i mean obviously you have songs like sulfur and psychosocial which i think are good i still think snuff is a standout song. A lot of Slipknot fans hate that fucking song. But you know what? I like to see guys get a little... I like to see bands like Slipknot get a little emotional sometimes. Write those emotional yeah, jams. So trying, trying some different things. Uh, getting artsy, yeah. Exactly. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But there's a lot of misses on this record. Dead Memories misses for me. Vendetta, Butcher's Hook, all kind of just... I mean, it's typical something, but you can tell there was something different with this record. Mm-hmm. Would you say that was accurate? Um, to an extent. Um, to me, it wasn't a complete miss. Um, there are parts of it that do miss. Um, I am going to disagree with you. I actually kind of did like Dead Memories. Um, so I love the guitar tones in it. Obviously, Psychosocial. Um, a Sleeper for me. Um, Gemantria, The Killing Name. That first mm. full song. Um just is a punch in the face. And I think it's, that's a very overlooked, uh, Slipknot song. I almost said Christmas song. Um, I mean, then, it could, uh, be, it could be, um, um, you know, another sleeper in there wherein lies continue is one of the heaviest intros to a song ever. Some of the chorus stuff gets a little bit weird in it. Um, that's kind of the thing is like, um, I'm not sure where this record fits in a, um, 
in a Stone Sour album cycle. Um, but there's definitely some songs that are kind of like, this is kind of riding the fence between a really heavy Stone Sour song and a really artsy, just like butt rocky Slipknot song. So it's kind of, yeah. it's a little bit of a, of a, um, like a catch 22 a little shock. bit. Yeah, What's I would up? say culture shock. For a mm-hmm. lot of Slipknot fans, this was culture shock because Corey Taylor was so enrooted with Stone Sour and that that Come Whoever May record came out in 2006. He was mm-hmm. very uh, ingrained in that. And you yep. can tell, I mean, look, this was a return to form for me for Corey and his like screaming vocals. I was just like, about to say his screaming on this is one of my favorites of every yeah, Slipknot record. Absolutely. like, And that's the thing. They, they hit it there. Songs like Sulphur, again, they really stand out to me because – I mean, the chorus of that song is catchy as hell, and and the verses are just this brutal, you know, I hate using that fucking word, but it's just like this heavy, just sludgy, kind of mm-hmm. fast, um, you know, just down-picking stuff, and I, I was very excited uh, when I first heard that, but it's just, you know, the songs you're naming off aren't bad, it just they're just not for me, you know what I'm saying? Yep. This record also, I feel like, suffers from um, too computerized of recording. I yeah. feel I feel like the record doesn't breathe like naturally like typical Slipknot records do. Um, this one feels a little bit more uh, a little bit more Pro Tools and a little bit more triggered drums and stuff like that, which is you know obviously that's a part of the it comes with metal it comes with the territory. But um, I feel like if they re-record record this with a more analog and more like um, uh, like a less rigid approach. I feel like this record would come off very, very differently. Yeah. Um, I mean, the critics, uh, you know, the critics of this record kind of disagree with us because All Hope is Gone, believe it or not, debuted at number one on the Billboard charts. Uh, mm. It outsold the game, which is, a, you know, a, a big rapper. And for so for a band like Slipknot to debut at number one, I mean, it had to have been like in 94 when Pantera debuted at number one with Far Beyond Driven. It yep. just wasn't expected. Pantera, who the fuck is Pantera? You know, same thing with Slipknot. I'm sure a lot of, you know, a, a lot of people that that expect, you know, the game. I mean, 2008, Jesus Christ. I mean, that's Taylor Swift's apex, you know, <laughs> or, or not apex, but Genesis. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's right when she's starting and things like that. So whatever's popular in music, I mean, anyone that's like tracking the charts, are like, who the fuck is Slipknot? Yep. Why the fuck are they up here, you know? Yeah, then, um, and, then, and then they see the picture of them, and they're just like, there's nine of them? Why yeah. are they wearing masks and jumpsuits? Like <laughs> Exactly. So um, initially, uh, I'm actually reading this uh, from an interview. Uh, Billboard published an article saying they, the game beat them by 13, but it ended up Slipknot beat them by 1,134 units. I don't know how you can be that off. But uh, – <laughs> It was the closest race for the number one since SoundScan began. Began between the games. Are there two different fan bases in the world than than like the game and Slipknot? Are there two different fan bases ever? Honestly, that's kind of like thinking back to what was what was prominent around that time. Like the fact that those were the top two is kind of crazy. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, like, and, and like I said, like a lot of the reviews. They disagree with us. You know, they say that this is Slipknot um, at their best. This is Slipknot like, um, you know, one guy even compared Dead Memories to Enter Sandman, which Mm. I don't know about all that, bro, because we all know how I feel about Metallica. Metallica has a close personal place in my heart. Shane fucking hates them for some reason. I 
Lars Ulrich, that's the reason. I hate Metallica. Well, I mean, you're biased. you're biased because, you know, his just double kick is just, you know. Have you ever heard one? Have you ever heard one, Shane? Yes. I've played Guitar Hero before. Um, Lars is- Ulrich is fundamentally, Lance, where you sit right now. Right now, where you sit, Lance Augustine. You would be an improvement to Metallica playing drums for them. Over Why are you week. so harsh on my boy L U? You're just you're just grinding my gears right now. You're just you're just getting me going right now. I am because I He's love this. Watch love some him. kind of monster and tell me and tell me why you do like him after after watching some kind of. This monster. isn't about Metallica, man. I don't care. I don't care the people making the music. I don't give a shit who they are as people. I care about the music they produce. I don't give a fuck. Who they are as people. I don't care if they don't tip their waiter. I don't care. If you write good well, no. jams, although I, I can't completely say that though, because I feel like I feel like character comes into a lot of music. And I'm just saying that just to mm-hmm. be a dickhead. But like I do care yeah. about the people. You know, I mean, like, um, you know, just when different things come up, you know, you're just like, all right, that's yeah. shady, man. I'm never listening yep. to look, Azalea dying will never recover. In my <laughs> eye. You know, he'll never yep. recover, you know, and, and for, for good reason. You know, but like, it's just to me, look, Metallica, they've been putting out, you know, the first four records are it's, so influential to me. I'll say this. Lars Ulrich is the Ben Roethlisberger of Metallica. Jesus um, Christ, your vendetta against Ben Roethlisberger is duly noted, my friend. <laughs> um, but the, ha, like the rest of Metallica is super, super talented. Their tones are insane. Like James Hetfield, great vocalist. Like, Lars Ulrich is such an underwhelming drummer that if they had an actual good drummer, they'd be even bigger than they are now. I'll say it. Jesus Christ. Yeah, they've only sold 150 million records. I mean, who wouldn't want to be bigger than that? Have you I seen mean, the size of their crowd chain? When's the last time Metallica played in front could of be bigger? Less? Come on. Come could on. Be you, you're, come on. When's could the last time Metallica played in, in front of less than 70,000 people? I'll wait. Could be a hundred thousand people though, if Lars Ulrich wasn't behind the kit. I can't even. Uh, all Hope Gone also made the list for one thousand and one albums you must hear before you die. I don't know if I would go that far. That's the a song. Severe. Yes, I would. I do agree. I, I do think the songs that I do like though, I'm 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 very for, and obviously Sulfur, Psychosocial, uh, Snuff, even All Hope Is Gone's a good, you know. But you could tell there was some inner turmoil with the band. At least I can. Uh, at this point, because it just seemed like the songwriting might have been a little, you know, a little wonky here and there. Um, and this was kind of the transition between um, this record and point five, the great chapter. Actually, um, when we get to We Are Not Your Kind in the final part of the series, um, I'm going to talk about how I feel like that record should have been between Iowa and volume three or between volume three and All Hope Is Gone. Would you say that that's a pretty accurate statement? I agree with that. I'd actually yeah. agree with that. Oh, wow. Unbelievable. Shane agreeing with me for once. But, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, look, all hope is gone. I mean, there isn't anything that I can say about it that hasn't already been said, you know? So mm-hmm. look, I mean, it, it's, it's a good record. I don't want to say it's bad because I don't think that when you're at Slipknot's level, I don't think, honestly, you can't really write a bad record. Yep. Although I'm going to make the argument, I'm going to pitch you next week why I think point five 
is probably their least, you know, the, the my least favorite album from Slipknot. That's a little too artsy for me. I'm a big artsy guy. I like when bands kind of step out of their element a little bit. Mm-hmm. I feel like point five, the great chapter kind of went over the mark a little bit. Yeah, I'd agree with that. We're going to talk about it next week, though. But, I mean, you have anything else to say about All Hope is Gone, man, before no. we move on to this McAfee and fucking Cole match, man? I'd, I'd probably go for this record. I'd probably rate it probably like a six and a half out of ten. Six and a half, like in between six and a half and seven out of ten. I would probably go six and a half as well because I'm going to go way low next week with point five. <laughs> so, um, but I'll keep, is no, it going I'll, to be point five for your rating? Yes. I think <laughs> But, uh, no. um, but yeah, I mean, here, uh, something not really, they kind of delivered in some aspects, but they under-delivered in others. If you haven't listened to All Hope Is Gone yet, I don't know what to tell you. Jesus Christ has been out for 12 years now. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fucking, and I remember sitting in my front seat of my car, listening to Psychosocial for the first time and just being like, what the fuck is happening right now? And I mean, that's something that we, we have come to know and love. So, yep. um, but, but also um look we talked about slipknot i mean we're doing that we're we're going over all the records but shane i got a bone to pick with you brother a bone to pick. yeah saturday night nxt takeover 30 adam cole pat McAvoo. we've talked about it at length here on these you know in the archives if you haven't checked it out yet please do uh we talk i mean it's a little late now but i said from the inset i said i'm not the biggest fan of it i feel like it's taking time away from wrestling fans or not wrestling fans, but actual wrestlers that deserve that slot. And then what's Pat McAfee do? He goes out there and makes me look like a fucking chump. He does yep. good. We, he, he does good. We actually watch this together. We set up our little romantic little zoom call and just kind of watch the show together. Um, mm-hmm. It was great. The, I thought yeah. the, I thought the, the pre-match like festivities where it's like him walking into the ring with like William Regal um, and Regal was like, hits him with like a, um, uh, what does he say? He says like, Hey, like, just so you know, like, it's going to be you versus Adam Cole tonight, essentially. And, uh, Adam or, uh, and Pat hits him with the, Hey, check the spray tan bub. And then like pats him on the shoulder and just like walks into the, into the arena. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that was great. Um, yeah. so yeah, but getting to the actual match itself. Um, yeah, I, I gotta be honest with you. I was blown away. We started off with that. We we actually watched just about the entire um, the entire takeover, just for context sake, just to see how it compared with the other matches. And I'm gonna say, I think it was the best match of the night. Honestly, um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna disagree with you there because uh, I feel like the main event between Karrion Cross and Keith Lee for the NXT title really under delivered, <sighs> and I just feel like. The ladder match, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't say it was the best match of the night because the ladder match was pretty fucking good. But um, except for Cameron Grimes, uh, get him out. Yes, uh, Shane is not a big Cameron Grimes fan, um, and he does take some getting used to. So, um, but uh, but it doesn't mean good. Um, And just to speak to that, to speak to that main event match, you fell asleep during it. Um, I did. I'm, I'm there with my headsets, and I just hear faint snores and. And just Lance counting sheep on the other side of the uh, of I mean, that just, match, just fucking sawing logs, bro. <laughs> I mean, just fucking mm-hmm. put me to sleep. I'm not gonna lie, you know. I've been, yeah. you know. Uh, but you're right. Pat McAfee comes out of the ring. He's got the for the brand knee pads and elbow pads. Uh, he is he is flanked by AJ Hawk and a few other guys. I don't know their names. Shane, fill me in. 
uh, Darius Butler, who used to be one of the defensive backs for the uh, um, for the Colts, and then Nick Moraldo, who's someone from the like the their podcast show. Um, oh, yeah, okay. and then obviously they, so they, they all have kind of co- ushered away a little bit. Yeah, um, but no, yeah. yeah, I thought it was cool. It wasn't a perfect match. I'm not going to sit here as much as I am a, a McAfee homer. I'm not going to say that it was a perfect match. It was a. It was even. It was better than I expected for sure. Um, yeah. Um, the, the thing, and Lance, you kind of brought it up where you were like, um, on the once that he his selling was a little bit weird. Yeah, like um, that's where I think people, you know, in the art of wrestling, people kind of get lost in is the art of selling. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I can't go over that enough. Like selling to me is everything. If it can't fucking sell, don't get in the wrestling business because mm-hmm. your job is to pretend like somebody's hurting you. Yeah. But in a lot of cases, they actually are. But uh, his his selling was a little wonky here and there. Um, they come out in the Cole Sucks shirts. Uh, I said that that'll be on the WWE shop before we know it. Um, so make sure you check out for that. But, I mean, most shocking to me and Shane both. Shane, do you remember the beginning of the match? They still were the fucking lockup, bro. Yep. Yeah. I, that was so dang cool because, like, I thought – I remember a lot of those, like, big-time – um, those big like main event like WrestleMania kind of moments. A lot of them start with those like those those lockups where it's like you know two of the iconic faces of the brand or whatever locking it up in the middle of Madison Square Garden or you know whatever giant arena. So I thought that yeah. was like, I don't know if it was intentional or not. Um, but it was a kind of cool I think homage and it kind and honestly to the energy of the match, it did kind of have the tension where that did make sense. I thought. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. Um, Adam Cole grabs a headlock, you know, and then Pat kind of go- comes back with a headlock of his own, tears Adam Cole down by his, uh, you know, his, his hair. And mm-hmm. then we get the first big spot of the match. You see a couple of guys, because um, the Undisputed Era come down to the to, to ringside, and then obviously McAfee's crew is already there. They start getting into it. McAfee comes off the top rope with a flying helo, man, takes everybody out. I mean, you could tell so he was building up. He was he was building up that for a long time. Yep. Uh, it was it was an impressive looking move uh, for for real. You know, yep. um, they get back in the ring. He stomps on Cole and gets some neck stretching against the rope. Um, you know, and they go back and forth. You know, mm-hmm. and as the match kind of progresses, you could tell that that Pat kind of got you know the nerves kind of went away a little bit. You know, he got to kind of get into it. Um, the, the second most impressive spot of the match has got to be Adam Cole's crotch on the top rope. Pat McAfee jumps from the canvas, jumps from the canvas onto the top rope and hits a beautiful superplex. Yep. A yep. beautiful fucking superplex. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Well, let's not forget as well, right before him jumping onto that top rope was that huge backflip, like full extended. Yeah. That's what like, I'm I mean, it looked pretty. And you could tell, yeah. I mean, that's shit that you learn in fundamental uh, fundamental wrestling school. But I mean, mm-hmm. um, then after that McAfee hits the, the McAfee baby, you know, like Adam Cole does great, yep. great. Just taunting right there. Um, they, the, you know, Adam Cole goes for the last shot, but Pat, you know, kind of waits around a little bit, but he gets up on the top and Shane hits the Panama sunrise for a move that you were very excited when you saw it. I, yeah, I, I, Lance, like right before that happened, because you did call, you did call the situation. You're like, "Hey, Panama Sunrise, here it is." Um, that move is unbelievable. Yeah, like Shane was actually literally stunned when I told him people have kicked out 
of that with regularity. It's because it, it's up there with with the same amount of like legend that you know the stunner, um, rock bottom, like the tombstone pile driver, like all those like iconic finishers. I it gives me that same sense of excitement that all of those finishers do. It, you know why? Because when you see it, the match should be over. Yep. When you see it, when you see the Panama Sunrise, and if you haven't seen it yet, please Google go on YouTube. The yep. Panama Sunrise. It's a flipping pile driver. It looks fucking insane. I literally don't right? even know how you do that. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean you got to have so much momentum. I remember showing a video to our boy Jordan, who's also part of the Heel Turn Collective Radio Network here. Uh, I, I remember showing him a video. Uh, the uh, Petey Williams used to do a move called the Canadian Destroyer that was the same thing, except he didn't come off the middle rope. He just did it off the canvas. But like. Uh, it just blew me away that somebody could do this flipping pile driver and just, you know what I mean? Just looked, just looked insane. But mm-hmm. when you see a move like that, when you see a spectacular move like that, you just expect it to be the end. Yep. I mean, I'm so happy Pat McAfee didn't kick out. If he would have kicked yeah. out, I would have fucking threw up everywhere. <laughs> I mean, that's why you put him down. Well, I'm um, sure that, that's a thing also, with McAfee where he is a wrestling fan. So I'm sure, yeah. uh, like, even outside of this, like, pseudo hatred for with him and Adam Cole, I'm sure he's even, like, this isn't a kick out move. Like, yeah, exactly. That's that's the end, one end all be all. You know, yep. um, I wish you would have taken like maybe a couple of days, sell the effects off of the radio show. You know, mm-hmm. if we're going post match here, I feel like he could have played really played up the storyline a little bit more, especially because after the match or after the event, Triple H said on a um, conference call that that Pat McAfee is actually going to work a little bit more. Yep. Um, but he said, you know, he's got his hands in a lot of different things. So we'll see kind of how that works out. But uh, I think the line of the mm-hmm. feud, because Pat McAfee caught a lot of great heel promos, you know, and that's coming from a natural born, his, you know, heel. Himself. But he, his heel he cut some massive promos. I thought. Yeah, I agree with you. And the line, I feel like that was really struck me was he's made a million dollars in seven different professions. And if people don't watch their step, it's going to be eight when he takes yep. over the rest of the world. Yep. I, thought I remember that, that one. Yep. I was like, I dude, like, I literally just got like chills from you. Like from like from that moment, like just thinking about it, like it was unbelievable. Man, like he cut some fantastic heel promos, mm-hmm. you know, um, even but, said, like, the, like, ha- like the pre-match stuff where it was like, kind of like him, like cowering. Yeah. Um, it was, it was very reminiscent of the, uh, of the team angle era of, of Kurt angle. Yeah. I feel it, you know. I wouldn't go that far because Kurt Angle took through it like fish like water and is on my Mount Rushmore of wrestlers of all time. And Pat McAfee isn't even in the same fucking yeah. it, stratosphere. The but. the influence was that wasn't there. I didn't I didn't mean to compare qualities. The influ I could feel the influence for sure. I feel it. So I mean, overall though, I gotta give it a good grade, man. Like I yep. gotta give it uh it was solid all around. Pat McAfee really, you know, I, I went into it. I, I actually wrote a preview column uh, for a website I write for. TG. A kind of scathing column, if we're being I, honest. I did. I, I, I kind of crapped on the idea that that Pat McAfee just gets pulled off the street into NXT where other guys were deserving. Uh, but he shut me up, and I'm sure he shut a lot of other pundits up. Uh, but you should uh, – I did write a preview column for TGRWrestling.net. You should always check that out. I – Right now, I'm doing a series on you know retro WCWs, but um, 
But yeah, I mean, overall, like I thought the match was, it exceeded my expectations. Mm-hmm. Pat McAfee really held himself well. Yep. I mean, I don't think there was anything outrageous where I was like, except for the selling at times, mm-hmm. uh, Adam Cole could, you know, carry anybody to a good match. Not, not, not devaluing what Pat yeah. McAfee did, but um, Adam Cole was just spectacular. So we, we uh, did have that discussion as well, though. Like, especially if McAfee is going to keep doing work, I want to see him with a non-superstar. Um, I, I want to like, obviously he was good with Cole. I want to see how good he really is. I want to see yeah. him. Uh, put him, him like, yeah, I was gonna say, let's put him in there with, um, yeah, some slum like Caleb Grimes or uh, not Caleb Grimes, um, Cameron. Cameron Grimes, and really see how good of a wrestler he is. Yeah, because that that that'll humble you real quick when it's yep. not Adam Cole in there, um, when it's some other schlub in NXT because. Look, a lot of people want to make NXT the third brand, and God bless you, you know. But at the end of the day, it still is develop- developmental. Yep. It still is. That's what their developmental do you, territory. Do you is. think there's any chance that this gets like long term McAfee bumping up to the to the to the actual like to the big show? Well, I mean, look, they had Rob Gronkowski on WrestleMania, like at WrestleMania True. this year. True. Do you think that you think Pat McAfee, if Vince McMahon thinks this motherfucker's going to draw me money, he wouldn't bring him in? Hell yeah, he yep. would. Hell yep. yeah. Especially the How first well, impression was good. So, you yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, look, kudos to Pat McAfee, man. He made me look like a fucking fool. Yeah, he, he shut a lot of people up. Honestly, too, like one of the first things I did after the match was, or like the next day, I went through the, the WWE NXT comment section regarding the match. And. I'd say probably 90% of the comments were like, we were wrong, Pat, sorry. Like, <laughs> yeah, pretty much everyone kind of, t- like, turn it, like, change in tone on, on what they thought of, of him wrestling Cole. Yeah, I mean, so that's, um, but yeah, I mean, so kudos to Pat McAfee, you know. Mm-hmm. Had, had a good match, and NXT takeover, you know, delivered in some parts and really under-delivered in most. Yeah, uh, I would say though. What are, uh, what are you gonna rate that match, and then what are you gonna rate all of Takeover? What would you give it? So I mean, McAfee Cole. You know, if we're going out of ten, um, <clears throat> probably do. And I'll give it a seven out of ten. Well, if we're gonna do out of five, because we got to keep it true to Dave Meltzer, mm-hmm. uh, out of five, probably a three and a half. You know, mm-hmm. three three point seven five somewhere around there. Yeah, uh, I think over delivered. I think that the expectations of McAfee going into the match were, you know, suspect at best, but they really delivered on a lot of levels. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, well, a lot of people debate whether they think that match was the best on the night or the ladder match. I'm going to go with the ladder match just because I feel like it had a lot of cool spots in it, and it's cool to see Damian Priest get to pick up the win and win the uh, North America title. But um, overall, though, I mean, I'll give it a three. I'll probably give it three point seven five out of five. For the whole takeover, and then overall the, the match, yeah. So, so for the takeover, I mean, I'll probably go um, for the takeover. I'd go probably seven and a half out of ten, you know, something like that. You know, I think it, like I said, I think it delivered in some spots. It it, it under delivered uh, in others. What do you think, Shane? I don't even want to ask you because I know you're going to give it like a five. But but what I'm, would you I'm give not, it out of five? Steve? I'm not actually. I'm I'm actually going to agree in that three and a half out of five range, just because there was a couple things that looked like inexperience kind of held the match back a little bit. I'll be, I'll be real. Um, yeah. But wow. there's potential Shane for that in the future. Fucking, hold on. Shane actually looking at things with like non rose colored glasses. Can't fucking believe it. <laughs> this is a first year field turn collective. So here's what's going to change though. As a, as a takeover as a whole, 
um, out of ten, I'm probably going five. Um, wow, an average show. I thought, sure. I thought the, uh, I thought the ladder match. You're right. Had some cool moments. There was also some really, really spotty, really, really bad camera work. I think, um, and I'm surprised that botch uh, was that. Um, uh, um, Cameron Grimes, whenever he got, was it super? He wasn't superplexed. Um, was he power bombed by um? Uh, Listen to you fumble through people's fucking wrestling names. It's my favorite pastime. I think. <laughs> Jesus but, Christ! But the one where he In like mi- where he like missed missed the the ladder and like almost like we thought he like died in the moment. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Power bomb off the apron by Damian Priest. Yep. Um, that one was a little a little scary there. And then there, yeah, some of the camera work I just thought was lackluster. Um, during that ladder match, and then that main event uh, main event match was painfully boring. I thought, <laughs> not a fan of Karrion Cross. Turns out Karrion Cross wins the NXT title, gets injured. He's going to be out for a while. Oh, he got hurt. His, yeah, he got hurt in that match. He totally separated his shoulder. He's going to oh be out for months. Gosh, but now but they're going to have to have a tournament. I will say, my favorite moment of the entire night did come from that. Whenever he won, I hear some some shit like some some movement on Lance's side of the headset and I hear a a really tired did, did he win? Like after the match yeah, was over and everyone I was could. just like, Yep. <laughs> yeah, I can't uh and then it it comes out right now. We're we're recording this on Monday night. Keith Lee debuts on WWE Monday Night Raw. You did call that. So you did call that last night. I I said I said it man. I said whenever he loses the title, they're going to pull him up, and there it is. So, but overall, big kudos to Keith. Lee. Yeah, I, I I liked Keith Lee a lot, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, the cool thing that I think about that about that McAfee match is, I think it's going to bring some casuals back in. Because I mean, honestly, too, like that made me that made You're me want to being get- overly. Hold on, you are being overly optimistic about an industry that should have no optimism at all. You're being overly optimistic about it. Look, I look, we and we talk to Vinny uh, in the interview about being a Cleveland sports fan and what it's like to kind of live in that. But I think re- being a wrestling fan kind of goes hand in hand with that mm. because you've seen the ups and downs. Obviously, the Attitude Era was the peak, yep. and it'll never get wrestling will never get that big again. Yeah. Wrestling will never, never be that popular again. It won't never. That's just the peak. So. You're being overly optimistic about one match with Pat McAfee. I'm not going to kiss his ass that much. It was good. I don't think it was that good. I don't well, think it was like transitional good. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. But I mean, I, I know for for myself, like I'm definitely going to be turning tuning in into NXT more often for sure. So, oh, look at you. You should That's be an AEW guy. Support the cause. Hey, you should be an AEW guy. Support the cause uh, here at the Heel Turn Collective Radio Network. But, uh, but yeah, I mean Shane, I mean. We got a lot to talk about, though, with Vinny Snyder. He's the manager of the Hold Fast Coffee Company, and we're just a pleasure to work with him. He's a great guy, and, and we talked to him about being a Cleveland sports fan and about just coffee roasting in, in general. So, Shane, are you ready to just roll and, and talk to Vinny for a little bit? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So uh, here's our conversation with Vinny Snyder. And now we are joined by manager of the Hold Fast Coffee Company, and for some reason, a rabid Cleveland sports fan, we we cordially invite into the ring 
Vinny Snyder. What's going on, Vinny? It's good to be with you guys, man. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, Lance, I hope you know, I actually have never told you this. You, I have a vendetta, and many people in Colorado hate you. Well, you know, um, many share that feeling around the globe. Um, you know, I, I can't help it. It's something that uh, I deal with on a daily basis. So nothing you bring to the table tonight will pale in comparison to all the, the tens of women that rejected me in high school. <laughs> It just happens to be that you joined a fantasy league with a bunch of guys from Colorado and you're the only non-local and then you won the league. And for that, it's just unforgettable. I, to be completely honest with you, I don't even know what you're talking about, but that's okay. That's okay. That's what I mean. That makes me even more mad is because you've never brought it up and I've secretly held this grudge the entire time. Okay. Well, well, look, there's a lot of ways to kind of look at this. Um, I do now remember the fantasy football league we partook in. I did claim victory. I believe I was facing Krista, Shane's wife, uh, in the finals. And, of course, I whooped that ass as usual. Um, But it's just status quo here at the Augustine camp. Uh, fantasy football dominance, as always. Dude, he, he plays fantasy football with a freaking game shark, I'm convinced. Oh, well, that's just because Shane starts Nathan Peterman and he throws five interceptions for negative seven points. Okay, you did that. I didn't do that. I did do that. Anyway, we're not here <laughs> to talk about fantasy football or Vinny's grudges against me because of me winning said fantasy league. We are here to talk about everything that Vinny wants to talk about. And, and like I prefaced at the, at the beginning here, you are a diehard Cleveland sports fan, aren't you? Yes, sir, man. Born and raised there. Lived there my entire life. And I have an unhealthy relationship with all Cleveland sports teams. I mean, I mean, so, okay. So let's take it. You know what? We could easily go in on the Browns and we can start talking about that right away. But I don't want to. As a lifelong Cleveland fan, what was your reaction when the Cavaliers won the title in 2016? There's an excellent video, my friend. There's an excellent video of it. I'll have to show it to you sometime. Um, I was with my buddy who is from Cleveland who lives here. We watched every game of the series, of the playoffs together. Um, when they won, I did a combination of crying and jumping, and then I jumped on him and I ripped my shorts in half in front of him <laughs> and his nice family. That's and then I had to properly sit on the couch because obviously my shorts were ripped in half. Wow. Um, then he went to the liquor store and bought a $200 bottle of scotch, and uh, we drank the entire thing in about 25 minutes. It was awesome. Whoa. Okay, so there's always been kind of my axe to grind with a lot of Cavaliers fans, obviously praising LeBron James, saying that he brought a title back to Cleveland, which he might very well have because it seemed like every time he was in Cleveland, they were in the, they were in the, the finals there. But to me, I think the hero of that finals was Kyrie Irving. He hit the three over Steph Curry and – Steph Curry was guarding him as best he could, but Kyrie hits that dagger, you know? So so what do you say to people that think that LeBron brought the, brought the title to Cleveland, which he might very well have, but don't give Kyrie the the, uh, the respect that he might deserve? Oh, yeah, and I'm pretty controversial with this because I'm not the biggest LeBron guy, to be honest with you. And even when they lost that first game to the Blazers, I was like, glad LeBron's not my problem and <laughs> he just does the disappearing act because you're absolutely right. Kyrie is the... LeBron wanted to crash and burn that finals with all his might, and Kyrie would not let him do it. And if LeBron didn't win that title, his legacy would be really interesting, and he owes Kyrie a lot. And I love mm-hmm. Kyrie Irving so dang much, even though he's his own kind of basket case. But, yeah, uh, Kyrie was absolutely the reason we won those finals. No yeah, question about it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's kind of swept under the rug. You know, you hear about the 
you know, you have the superstars of the NBA, LeBron, AD, things like that, but you also have those like kind of mid-carters as we call them in the wrestling, you know. Uh, you have those mid-carters, you know, the the Russell Westbrooks and then the Damian Lillards. And then I would put Kyrie in his prime probably in that group. Do you think that's outrageous? No, pre third eye Kyrie before he got real weird was like absolutely right on the edge of being one of the best. Now, for whatever reason, his brain's like broken. I'm not sure what his problem is, but we had him right before that happened. And yeah, absolutely. He was like a top, easily a top 10 player for me in that era when he was doing that. And offensively, literally no one could guard him. He was the best. Yeah. And I don't think that he gets enough respect, you know, enough for, because you're right. He is kind of a basket case came out as a flat earther. I think that's the worst thing you could probably do in that situation, which, uh, you know, I, sometimes I ponder myself if the earth is flat and then I kind of be like, well, it, it's not really flat Lance. You know, you can't think like that, you know? Um, but, uh, to me, you know, I'm not a big NBA guy, but I did live in Cleveland at the time they won that title. So I know how much it meant to the city of Cleveland, right? Dude, uh, and my favorite part, just to wrap up that story on that night, was, of course, I had the spin, so I couldn't go to sleep at all. And my favorite memory is, I think it was like four in the morning, I was just walking around in my boxers with all the lights off doing finger guns completely by myself because I had the spin and I couldn't <laughs> sleep, but I was just so pumped up. That's that's pretty fucking wild. <laughs> Thank you for telling me. Dude, that night changed my life, man. There's no question about it. <laughs> You have PTSD from that night? Like you just sometimes just randomly get up in your underwear and just start giving finger guns to everything? Do you ever like I think about it because it bought me like two years of anything in the world could go bad and I'm like, at least we won the championship. You know what I'm saying? If we would have lost that series, <laughs> it would have been hard to accept the Browns, it would have been hard to accept a lot of things. But that bought me some time to just like some bandwidth to let things go bad and it was just gonna be okay. I mean well, I mean, we're gonna go from you know, excellence to you know, not so much excellence, don't you think, Shane? Yeah, yep, not so much excellence here. We're going to have a drastic talent drop off here. Uh, I would say so. I mean, maybe not, maybe not to a lot of Cleveland fans for some fucking reason. But I mean, look, you go from the absolute top, the Cavaliers winning the title in 2016, and I do believe the Browns that year went 0 16. Am I? Am I? Is that the year they went 0 16? The same year the uh, Cavaliers won the title. Yeah, I think that's right. And then one in fifteen the year before, or the year after, my friend. So I'm oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. And they yeah, won four games in three years. Yeah. yeah so they they ground that uh, record <laughs> to the ground uh, when talking about Hugh Jackson and his one and thirty-one and one record because they did tie in there. They did get a tie. What's that tie? Which look, friend of the show, Shane's a big Tyrod Taylor guy. He makes a couple <laughs> throws in that week one tie against the Steelers. You're not, you're not tying. You're actually winning the fucking game, you know? Yep. Um, but w- look, the Browns draft Baker Mayfield number one. As a, as a lifetime Browns fan, were you excited about the pick? Did you like the prospects of what he brought to Cleveland? I wanted Baker. I was a big Baker guy primarily because I'm obviously a big Ohio State Buckeyes fan. And when Baker came and planted the flag in Ohio Stadium and – just completely kicked our ass in the horseshoe. I was like, I want that dude to be on my team. I don't want to play him anymore. And he's just fun, dude. Like, I love the swagger. So I love Baker coming out. I wish he was taller. We hate tall quarterbacks for sure. That's like a sad <laughs> trend that I was like still having Colt McCoy PTSD from for sure. Um, <laughs> Brock, he was, in, in their defense, Brock Osweiler was like 6'8", so. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's true. We never actually played, thank God. But, yeah. <laughs> 
I was happy to have Baker, and I still am happy to have him. The jury's obviously still out on the situation, but I was super pro Baker in the beginning. Okay, mm. I mean, I, I can I can dig it. But me and Shane have, have, have mentioned a lot in the archives on the episodes. If you haven't checked it out yet, please do. We've mentioned a lot. Uh, this might be a make or break year for somebody like Baker Mayfield. Now, I, I know a lot of Cleveland fans don't want to hear that. A lot of Cleveland fans are like, whoa, let's pump the brakes. This is year three. You know, we just saw Patrick Mahomes in year three win a Super Bowl. I understand that's unrealistic for the Browns right now, but we just saw Patrick Mahomes win a Super Bowl, get paid half a billion dollars, which is just, I, I'm still trying to fathom that number. And you see a lot of quarterbacks in year three getting those big paydays. Do you think mm-hmm. it's a make or break year for Baker? Yeah, I mean, I think it is because of the money situation and we got to make some tough decisions about paying him. But it's one of those things where, like, if you talk about a receiver who's good, even though they've had bad quarterbacks, Baker is hard to judge because he's had Freddie Kitchens and Hugh, a <laughs> complete nightmare. So, like, True. in some sense, he I think he maybe has one extra year with a quarterback or with a coach with a brain to kind of see if he can like put something together. So it's hard to judge him right now. But you're right; if he doesn't do anything in the next two years, I mean, you got to let him walk and start over, no question. Yeah. Yep. And it's, I'm sure it's hard for a lot of Browns fans to even think about that. It's hard to even like, oh, another fucking reboot. Are you even Vinny, you, you said, you said two years on that. I, I like, I have said it before, like even on the show. Um, I think, I don't think the case Keenum signing is on accident. Um, I think that like, if, if, if Baker's lackluster, even the first like four games of the year, I, and like the boo birds start showing up, I think by like, at like post buy seat like buy game or buy week, I think we could see a, a a Case Keenum taking over that team. No way, dude. You no don't think? Way. What a look, look, Vinny. Can I just can I just not defend this right now? Um, <laughs> he said this week one. He said we broke down every single division. We broke out. Mm-hmm. We broke down the free agent signings, and when we came to the Browns, he he mentioned this hogwash week one when he said. Oh man, if they're like 0-5, week six, Case Keenum. There is under no circumstances will Case Keenum take over for Baker Mayfield, at least this year. Mm-hmm. Under That's no circumstances. Barring mm-hmm. injury. You know, which I think they could go one in fifteen in Case Keenum never sees the field. I honestly I'm dead serious because you we'll want to see. I mean, I don't know. Like, look, Shane, <laughs> you have had ice cold picks in the past. It continues here. Um, but I mean, okay, so Look, Vinny, I mean, I'm a Falcons fan. I understand we go through two different pains, but I'd like to compare them right now if you don't mind. Okay. Oh, this will be good. Okay. So as a lifelong Browns fan, you deal with losing year in and year out, but the expectations are low. Nobody in their right mind, except for people in Cleveland for some fucking reason, ever go, I think the Browns are going to win the Super Bowl this year. That's a phrase that's never been uttered in my lifetime. Okay. Because uh, when I was born, Ernest Beiner had already fumbled their hopes away. So oh. I was born. I was born. The <laughs> dick. <laughs> so um, look. So as a okay. So as a person that at, at no point in my life, like even when they went two thousand two, led by Kelly Holcomb, do you think at any point that I go, man, that's the next Jim Kelly, it's the next Dan the Marino? Dreams, no, man. don't talk bad about the season of dreams, please. Well. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that. But uh, I still, I still say I remember that one year they were they were debating between Johnny Manziel and Brian Hoyer, and they were actually off to a good start, and then they started fucking around, and just went in the toilet. Okay, 
you you keep Brian Hoyer in, in that position, but it is Hugh Jackson. So anyway, but okay. So you go into each season as a Browns fan with these low expectations because, like I said, nobody's picking the Browns to win the Super Bowl. Okay, the Falcons, my squad. Okay, who year in and year out have the constant expectation. The Falcons are going to win the NFC South. The Falcons are going to win the NFC. The Falcons are going to win the Super Bowl. I think I would rather have low expectations going into the season and just be shitty than have all these prognosticators say, oh, they're going to go 12 and 4. They're going to go 11 and 5. And then they end up going 6 and 10. Your rebuttal. Okay. I'm, this is a very sensitive subject to me. I've gone through this with Cubs fans or any other fan base that pretends to know losing and any other fan base that thinks it's cute for them to claim being losers because they know nothing about what it's like. Hmm. Let me take your example. You're talking about the pain of not meeting expectations. Even when you expect the team to win three games, they win zero. You expect them to win two, they win one. You expect them to win five, they win three. We still never actually meet the expectations. Last year, we wanted like people wanted 10 to 12. Not even close. So we're constantly still under expectations. And the thing I think that people miss about losing is that you still have, at the end of the day, six to eight Sundays where you lay your little head on your pillow in the evening to go to sleep, and you go, we won today. And I had a stretch for four years where there was as many years as there were days that I could sleep on a Sunday afternoon and feel good that my team actually won the game. And not to mention the way in which we lose. You had the Super Bowl. I would love the opportunity to lose the Super Bowl, just for the record. I would love the chance to lose the Super Bowl. But at the end of the day, the way the Browns lose and the how often they do it, a cumulative is way worse than what you're experiencing. Guaranteed. Oh, man. I'm fucking roasted. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm Team Vinny on this one. <laughs> that, that, is, that is Folgers roasted, brother. We're yeah. going to talk about coffee later. Look at here. <laughs> Segway city, okay. So, I don't know. So, I'm, I'm, I want to say so, like, you're talking about pain here, Vinny. As a Cleveland sports fan, what is the most painful thing that you've experienced? It's got to be is the it- minor fumble. It's got to be the minor fumble. Fuck the drive. Okay, you knew John Elway was going to fucking march down that field. You knew it. As soon as he got the fucking ball, it wasn't even alive. And I knew John Elway was going to march down the fucking field and score that touchdown and win the game. Ernest Biner, my man. Okay, I like Ernest Biner a lot. Don't get me started. Man fumbled away Cleveland's hopes and dreams. Yeah, Vince, there, you rebuttal. Argue with that. I was too young, though. I mean, if it's if it's personal, the first time Cleveland sports made me cry was the nineteen ninety seven World Series. Ooh, when they played the Marlins. Oh yeah, Marlins nineteen ninety seven. Tony Fernandez. That crazy air after the best postseason ever. That's the first time I bawled my eyes out for Cleveland sports. Mm. Mm. Um. In the Hall of Fame is also a sneaky one is the bottle gate against the Jaguars where they uh, they basically ran a play that they, the, they threw like an official review and reviewed the play before. Like it was two plays ago and the officials still did the instant replay and overturned the call. And that's when all the fans threw the bottles on the field and they called the game. This heartbreak city, man. It's heartbreak city because I think that's when I started to realize that God hates us. And I think there's those moments where you're like, this is so bizarre that you feel like you're playing a game not against the Jaguars, but against God, and he always has home field advantage. That's how I describe it. I mean, he's always the number one seed, if you know what we're saying, right? Always got that bye week, always ready for the divisional round, unlike the division rival Baltimore Ravens, who, you know what, Vinny? Me and Shane relish in the fact that we both believe that Lamar Jackson is one of the most overrated players in the NFL. 
do you think that not take yourself out of the division, take yourself out of the AFC North, just from a football fan standpoint, do you think Lamar Jackson is overrated as a quarterback? I do. I mean, it's in my blood. I hate the Ravens more than any other team in sports. But I also think that they had this cute thing, and I think the time is going to run out. I don't think yep. you can get away with the the wishbone army nonsense for that much longer. Like, I think people are going to catch up to that super quick. Right. I don't think you can win that much when your quarterback can't throw the ball, dude. So, well, gimmicks, gimmicks only work for like a year in the NFL. We saw it with the Wildcat. We've seen it with all the like the read option thing even kind of tapered off. Like, I like Lamar Jackson. I, I genuinely like him. But I, I now there's a year of tape, um, and and defenses defenses adapt quick in the NFL. So I'm curious to see how it works out. That's that's always the ultimate equalizer is tape. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, look, he's taking the world by storm. People people got caught up in that first game. He was playing the fucking Miami Dolphins, who might as well had me and Shane playing cornerback. <laughs> like, come on, man. Holy hey, and we would have done good. We would have done good. Come on. Hollywood Brown was 25 yards open. I could have <laughs> fucking hit him with a pass. Just get him in the general vicinity. You know what I mean? Because there's nobody yep. fucking around him. And then yep. I feel like he got exposed by a bad – I think the Titans – were bad last year, but they got a lot of lucky breaks. It reminded me of the 06 Steelers that won the Super Bowl. They weren't that good. Yep. They they had a lot of look. Mm-hmm. Okay. I still have a conspiracy theory about that. I'm not I'm not gonna go off track here. But no six when Roethlisberger when Bettis fumbles that ball and Roethlisberger tackles that ball carrier, that guy gets stabbed the night before in the leg. You tell me that's coincidence. He got stabbed the night before in the leg and then Roethlisberger shoestring tackles this motherfucker. I couldn't believe it. I hate I hate the Steelers. I grew up a non-Steeler fan. And I got to say, man, Vinny, as a Browns fan, I feel your pain in that aspect because I hate the Steelers and I hate the Ravens as well. So, I mean. Yeah, I just hate sort of how healthy and, like, consistent they are too. It just makes me mad that I have to hate the same people for so long. God Tomlin, God. Ben, and Harshaw, and all these amazing people that just never leave. I've had <laughs> six teams in front offices in the time that they've all been there, and it makes me sick, dude. It makes amazing, you, makes amazing, you people. People. amazing people. He says, "Well, Good look, story. okay, so it's an accomplishment. I mean, they're obviously scumbags. Don't even get me started. Okay, Don't even so, get me started." Well, I am going to get you started, Shane. Shane here um, openly admits that Ben Roethlisberger is quote not that good. Which is a uh, surprise to me because he has two more Super Bowl titles than Marcus Mariota. You, you must have gotten the uh, the edited version because I did not say not that good. I said heinous. Um, he is not. Look, but continue. This isn't a time or place for this debate. Although, Vinny, if you want to jump in on your Roethlisberger hate or praise, I hate the Steelers. I think Ben Roethlisberger is probably in the top 10 best quarterbacks of all time. That's I'm going to shoot you. Um, I'm literally going to shoot you. Um, insane. That's insane. He, if you, uh, what, what are you going on? What's your basis for him being in the top 10 all time? Okay, so just break it down to its most macro level. What What's the one thing we judge? I don't think Eli Manning is that good, but I would put him probably in the top 15 of all time, top 20. I don't think he's that good, but he's two Super Bowl rings. That's got so, so, so by saying that, that Dan, Dan Marino isn't in the top ten then. No, not for me because he had he didn't win. Good quarterbacks elevate so he, everybody around them. So Nick Foles is in the top ten then. No, because he only. So, has gonna, so, so based on this logic, based on this logic, you're going to put Nick Foles above Dan Marino. Yeah, I mean, okay, so Nick Foles did have a game where he had seven touchdowns and. Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> 
Backing up, baby. I'm making the argument, motherfucker. Hold on. Okay. I I understand. I've backed myself into a here. Big time. And I'm trying, I'm trying to justify saying that Nick Foles is better than Dan Marino, but I can't. I can't. Now I can't probably ever if we're being completely one Okay. So look. Just fucking take it at face value. What's the Hall of Fame look at? You know, they look at titles, baby. Titles mean a lot. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Titles mean a lot. I mean, I don't think that Nick Foles is better than Dan Marino. But on paper, he does have a Super Bowl ring, and Marino doesn't. And that's a hard facts. Yep. I just can't get over it. It's got the Flacco thing. He's always had crazy talent around him and really good defenses and an amazing system and a great coach, blah, blah, blah. And he's always benefited from that shit. And they can run last year on their third-string quarterback and still look like a pretty decent team with almost nobody back there. And he's a system QB, man. Come on. There's also a thing, too, where it's like uh, for, what, 15 years now, we've seen Ben Roethlisberger – where his highs are great. I, I will admit, whenever he's on, he's a, he's great. He's awesome. But most of the time, whenever it's not great, he looks like he just learned what football is. He has happy feet in the pocket. He's the only reason his completion percentage or whatever, or like what his like his efficiency rating is what it is, is because he's name a year that he hasn't had a top-tier wide receiving core around him. Well, last year, like, he had Juju Smith Schutzer. Can you even name their number two? James Wilson. shit last year. He looked terrible. Yeah, he looked horrible that, that game that he played. one fucking game. He looked bad. If he was elite, he'd look good. He, he played one game, and his elbow was off of his arm for half of it. Hey, he, not he, our problem. He, he still played bad before that whenever his elbow was attached. So, I can't, I can't fucking handle what I'm hearing right now, bro. I put Can that I say something really controversial? What's that? Say it. I'm going to say something really controversial. Hit me. I really, I wonder and have some weird enjoyment over what it would have looked like if Miles swung that helmet and it hit Big Ben's giant cranium. <laughs> nothing would have happened because there's nothing up there. But I just want to know, dude. I just kind of wish it was him instead. Wouldn't, you, wouldn't it have been hilarious if Roethlisberger beat the shit out of Miles Garrett because that's what he deserved after doing that shit? Yeah, that was a complete disaster. I thought oh, it was I a clean mean, hit. suck or whatever. I'm cool with it. Look. It's Mason Rudolph, okay? My dad, touted, place in the NFL. It's fun. my dad, the touted college scout, said that Mason Rudolph is really going to be something in this league. No, he's not. And we have shown why my dad is not a college scout. Uh, <laughs> lost last year. I mean, look, but then you bring in Duck Hodges, and Jesus Christ, everyone in Pittsburgh said, it's Ben Roethlisberger's successor after one game. And because yeah, that was a little. And because Tomlin's oh. an excellent coach. They went eight and eight because he's a excellent coach, and and that dang defense, dude. I mean, look, we could go on. Look, me and Shane grew up in Steeler country. Obviously, you grew up your entire life hating the fucking Steelers. Okay, and I don't blame you. You know, because Steeler fans, much like Cleveland fans, and that's another point I want to bring up. Pittsburgh fans used to be the worst fan base to me. Because every time they lose, it's always somebody else's fault. The referees got us, man. Well, if that goddamn Terrell Suggs wasn't on the team, maybe we could, you know, run the ball. (laughs) You know? If only their fucking defense didn't stand there when we're trying to cram the ball up the middle. But then I moved to Cleveland. 
Okay, and this storied franchise, if, if that's the word you want to use for it, this storied franchise talks about going, oh man, we're going to go 12-4 and because Baker Mayfield is here. Your team won zero games a mere three years ago. You guys are acting like that's ancient history. It was three years ago. You go 1-15 mm-hmm. the year after, and the only reason you won that game, it took the Chargers missing a field goal. And the only reason I know that is because the Chargers will be the death of my father. But um, hearing all this, Vinny, hearing my very anti-Cleveland claims, what is your rebuttal to somebody that says that Cleveland is the worst fan base in all of sports? I think your criteria for what makes a good fan base is bullshit. Because here's what I know, Hmm. okay? Last year, before the first game of the season, I remember this vividly, there was a video on Twitter of what the line coming into the Muni lot, the tailgating lot, looked like at 545 in the morning. It was a line of hundreds of cars. And they interviewed the guy, one of the guys in the front who wanted a good spot, and they said, how long have you been here? He said, I've already been here for 18 hours, okay? The team <laughs> won zero games the year before. That's a fan base, dude. I live in Colorado mm. where all these goofballs think it's like it's like fashionable and it's like this casual fandom. You go to the game and everyone's there just to drink beers. They all leave in the third quarter. Well, we Vinny, why? 24 hours early to a team that didn't even win. Vinny, well, but if, if God wasn't a Broncos fan, why is, why is the sky blue and orange? Checkmate. That's about the depth you're going to get out of the Broncos. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. That's a bumper sticker out here. Speak it into existence, man. Hold on. Hold on. We're not just going to gloss over that. Okay. We're not just going to fucking gloss over that. If God wasn't a Broncos fan, why is the sky blue and orange? <laughs> That's a new slogan of the Heel Turn Collective podcast. I'm positive. <laughs> That is the new slogan. What a fucking fantastic marketing job. What a fantastic marketing job. Wow. Yep. Bravo. And I hate the fucking Broncos. Here's why. I became an Atlanta Falcons fan in 1998. All right. Quarterback led by quarterback Chris Chandler, running back Jamal Anderson. They had the works. They go to the Super Bowl, get absolutely ransacked in the fucking Super Bowl against Denver. That was John Elway's final season, and he put that final nail in the coffin to my old uh, my old dirty bird. So, Vinny, that's where I feel your pain, and I feel it comes through, my man. Yeah, dude, but we need to get back to the task, the thing at hand here. I don't yep. think you can fault a fan base for being – there's literally their entire job is to be optimistic – it's the True. fact that Browns fans have to convince themselves because they're not they care so much they're not gonna live if the Browns if they don't give themselves at least a moment to think they could maybe be good at some point. Broncos fans they come here, they lose six games and they cry about it and they're like so entitled, like we deserve more. It's completely ridiculous. But you can't fault Browns fans for at least trying to speak into existence having a good team, because it feels like having a good team is that like that's all we can do is hope the universe sends it our way. I mean uh that's a good point. I mean, a good point. Yeah, I mean, I'm not debating anything you're saying. I'm just saying, like, most of the Browns fans that, uh, you know, as a Browns fan, I feel like I would be, the two words that I would use, uh, a correct Browns fan, I guess, would be cautiously optimistic. You like to be cautiously optimistic. Hey, man, we might win. But the fact that Cleveland, six games, and people are like, all right, man, we're on the uptick. Six and fucking ten, people are celebrating that. And I mean, not last year because the expectations were unfucking believable. Still can't believe that people thought this squad was going to go twelve and four. I don't care if you have fucking. I don't care if Jesus Christ is playing wide receiver. I don't care. You're not going twelve and four, okay? But to, so, Vinny, w- what I'll say, man, is I feel what you're saying as being a a loyal fan and what that brings. But do you honestly think like does it ever get old? 
does it ever just be like, you know, fuck this team? I mean, for three years, <laughs> he doesn't even have a team. So, I mean, like, do you remember when they relocated to Baltimore? Oh, dude, I remember it super well. Um, my dad was one of the dudes that ripped the bleachers. You know, like, I don't know if you remember, like, at the last game, they, like, took the stadium apart because people took it home. And, oh, yeah. like, hung a piece of the bleachers in the garage and stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I grew up with, like, a crazy Browns fan life. And we had season tickets the year they came back. Um, oh, but, wow. yeah, I, I remember crying when the Browns left. It's terrible. And then they wanted to take the, the, team, like, the team name and colors and all that stuff. And I remember the protests and marching. Like, they marched on City Hall to keep the colors and stuff. It's crazy, wow. man. So they would have been called the Baltimore Browns. Yeah, that was a huge, huge fight because once they already decided they were going to leave, Art Modell was trying to take the entire thing. Baltimore Browns, brown and orange, the whole thing, man. Wow. Man. I didn't even know that. I thought it was just going to be – I didn't either. I thought it was just going to be like a clean break. You know, like no, – there was protest and people were like marching in the downtown and stuff, dude. God damn. Because we're a good fan base, Lance. Uh, well, look, I mean, while you're going to personally attack me here, first you go after, I mean, just my astute and astounding fantasy football acumen. Uh, you know, just somebody that's really at the forefront of fantasy sports most of the time. If you don't believe me, ask my DraftKings account. And so we have all this going for me, right? It's, it's, it's about me, buddy. And right now, I feel like you don't understand the gravity of what I go through as a Falcons fan. I mean, I get it. I get it. The expectations for the Browns are low. But what I'm saying is, do you think you'd feel any better if the expectations were high and you consistently went 6-10, and 7-9? That's what I'm going to say. Okay, let me tell you. I'm speechless by that. Let me tell you this. If you had like $200 and I was like, I can't give you 1000 but I can give you 600 would you be sad? Okay, what was the question again? <laughs> Like I'm trying to think of this in terms of percentages, okay? Like, you're asking me, as far as I can understand it, if I would be, like, upset if we only won six games when I thought we were going to win ten? Yes. So if I told you, I, hey, Lance, uh, I haven't known you very long. You're a good guy. I can't give you a 1000 bucks, but I can give you 600 Would you be happy with that? No, because I was promised a 1000 No, the promise is the problem. I'm not one of these guys that gets hooked in the optimism. I've never thought. Last year, I wanted to win four games. I was happy after last year. And that's the key. I'm, I manage the expectations. <laughs> Managing the expectations is something I don't think Browns fans do very well. I mean, hey, look, you might, you're the rarity, Vinny. You're the rare Browns fan that has his head on straight. Because a lot of them that I've talked to, they don't share that same, they don't share, share that same self awareness, you know? So I, I, I applaud you for that. But under no circumstances will I feel bad for you guys going six and 10. When you have a double-headed monster at every single skill position, you have See, you're getting something. Did you? You haven't. You haven't followed any of the Browns news today, have you? No, I haven't. Of course, See, this not. Is the thing. you forget that God hates us. Grant Delpit went out with a ca- uh, calf injury. Um, so did who, that other... is. who is that? Greg Culprit? Grant Delpit, the kid from uh, the safety from LSU, we just drafted to be our starting safety. Oh, hmm. that guy. I mean, lost in the shuffle, I suppose. But, uh, <laughs> okay, I'm just getting started. Greedy Williams went out today with the injury. Nick Chubbs already had a concussion. Mac Wilson basically busted his knees almost out for the entire year. Already this week, our team is completely decimated. I'm hovering around five to six wins already. <laughs> Carl Joseph didn't practice. We literally had guys that were like not even on the team playing in the secondary in practice today. We're doomed. God hates us. We're fucking doomed. That should be the Browns' slogan. We're doomed. 
Okay. The Browns remind me of the team from the movie Major League. <laughs> like it's constant, just the laughing stock. And look, I, I want to preface, I've already said it, but I would like to follow up everything that I'm saying here by saying I'm a Baker Mayfield guy. I believe in mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield. I just wish he believed in himself. I wish he w- wouldn't believe in the fucking hype so much. I believe that I, I wish that he would just go on the football field and deliver like he knows he can because that fighter that you saw at Ohio State, I like that too. I like my quarterback yep. to be fiery and competitive. I like that. There's too many guys that are boring. You know, too many guys that are just, you know, vanilla. You know, I like these quarterbacks stepping up and being like, yo, dude, I want to win this fucking game. And nothing would get me more fired up in a huddle if, so, if a quarterback grabbed me by the face and go, let's go win this fucking game. You know what I mean? Okay, cool. You know, I'm, I'm down with it. And I want... Yeah, I would like to win the game too. Yes, I mean, that's... But I would like to see that Oklahoma-Baker Mayfield, don't you think? Mm. I think I think you're going to see it this year. I think he's going to be really good. I think our coach actually knows what's up and we're going to have a good system. I'm not stressed about him. I think he's actually going to do an incredible job, and I think he's going to be asked to do a lot less. It also sucks that every game we're losing by, like, 10 points in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. and that's why he's in all those interception things. I think if we can, like, actually be a good team and keep the games close, he won't have to be, like, the Superman role that he tried to play last year. So I'm not, yeah. I agree with you on all that, but I'm not stressed. I think this year he's actually going to be awesome. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, Stefanski has that proven track record. He, you know, he's yeah. in Minnesota last year. They did really well. Um, Kirk Cousins, I don't know if you guys saw that playoff game against the Saints, but that's the road that Kirk Cousins had uh, to, um, what's his name? I can't remember his fucking name, the, the white guy. Um, Thielen. Yeah, yeah, Adam Thielen. Uh, throws a ball and just hits him right in the fucking bread basket. And that's when I was like, I love I love the NFL. I don't love the <laughs> NFL because the Browns or the Falcons started 1-7 last year. I don't know if anybody remembers this. They started 1-7. <laughs> so then they finished... They they started nine and they yeah started one and seven and then they ended up going seven and nine. Where was that the first fucking half of the season? That's Matty Ice baby trying to build up that dramatic ending. God damn son, Dan Quinn went from man you're going to be fired tomorrow to oh here's a three year extension. Like in a in in the midst of a season, I've never seen a turnaround like that. Dan Quinn is a defensive quarterback on an offensive minded team, and I don't like it. Because you do have Matt Ryan. You do have Holy Jones. And not to make this about the Falcons, okay? But I'm just saying, even the Browns have more weapons than the Falcons do this year. You can't debate that with me, Vinny. No, no, there's no question about that. And what I'm really excited about, dude, Stefanski is a dime. That guy is handsome as shit. He's a looker. Not have Freddie Kitchens to look at holding the plate <laughs> like upside down because he doesn't even know how to read. I'm kind of in <laughs> this era of having just a complete dime for a head coach, too. But I mean, and we got looks, and that sounds nice, dude. I got, I got to tell you, man, you're starting. I mean, from the head coach down, Stefanski, good looking dude. Baker Mayfield, again, good looking dude. Although I'm more bearded Mayfield than unbearded Mayfield. What do you say? Also, let's get I'm rid of Mayfield. mustache Mayfield for sure. What's that? Oh, What's that? oh yeah, good call. I, I don't like mustache Mayfield. Uh, no, I don't got to get that guy out of there. I also agree with Vinny. Stubble Baker is uh, very good as well. You know, mm-hmm. it's that grizzled look. I like it. OBJ, pretty man. A pretty man. Jarvis Landry again. Yep. And then, look, the running backs, they don't have to be. Yeah. And so, I don't know. So, you know what? Great analysis there, Vinny. That's all I got to say about that. So, I appreciate that. Bravo, buddy. But, but hey, we could sit here and talk about sports all day, my man. But there's one thing I do want to talk to you about other than sports. Um, 
and it's coffee. And for people that don't think coffee is interesting, Vinny is about to prove a point to you you never thought you would ever have made to you. Because Vinny assured me he can make coffee interesting, and we're about to do that right now. Um, in case you don't know uh, from the top of the show or anything, uh, we are now working with Hold Fast Coffee Company, which Vinny is the manager of. So we really applaud that partnership. We really are excited about that. Vinny, why don't you tell us how you got started in coffee? Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, it was a wild ride. It was not something I ever like thought I would be doing. It's kind of funny. Like, I uh, I got out of high school, but I was never had any sort of sense of what I wanted to do at all. Like, it was never clear to me. I was always jealous of the kids that like knew from they were 15 years old exactly what they're going to go to school for and what they're going to do. It definitely was not my path. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was like, I, I went to Bible college and got a Bible degree. I was a youth pastor for like a hot minute there. And then I kind of pursued church planting. That's what I majored in. I majored in church planting and kind of did that. I, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, actually, go ahead. There's actually a degree in church gardening? Yes, exactly, dude. Those, they don't get pretty by themselves, man. No, I'm just kidding. Not actually gardening, but the, but the act of starting one from scratch. I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but it's a hell of a thing. A hell of a thing to get a degree in, my friend. <laughs> dude, yeah. The good thing is I didn't pay for the degree. I would be really – it's funny now, but it wouldn't be funny if I was paying student loans. Jesus Christ. I'm going to be paying $140 a month to go to school for church gardening. Very specific. It's a very specific, very nuanced group that just want their garden done like a church, right? Just for the record, church planting means the art of starting churches, not actually gardening churches. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, you're fucking lying to me, dude, because – hold on. The first time I ever saw the word – like time spelled out. I said thyme and somebody looked at me like I was absolutely fucking out of my mind. I was like, thyme. And they're like, it's time you asshole. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Vinny continue on your journey to coffee stardom. And I'll know that church planting isn't actually gardening, but starting a church. So um, I wanted to let it go and just let you believe that for your entire life. But I just, took it you, bro. I just could not do it. Yeah. But yeah, I know, <laughs> but yeah, so that was the initial thing. And then I kind of did that for a few years and realized it wasn't for me. And I had a buddy who was like, Hey, there's this coffee shop that's looking for someone to, uh, like kind of help with some management stuff. And I was like, cool. I've never worked in coffee in my entire life, but always been like wanting to work in kind of a people industry. And I can't sit still just have avoided sitting in a cube my entire life. Just won't do it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, it seems like a good enough thing to try. So it was super weird, man. It got off to a funny start. So I started at this coffee shop. I've never used an espresso machine, never didn't know a thing about coffee. And then the general manager left the company on like my fifth day. Big, <laughs> big, big problem, dude. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So they talked to the owner and she's like, I think we can handle this. And she also didn't know anything about coffee either. Whoa. So I basically became the general manager of a coffee shop within like five days and I had never even used an espresso machine before. So, bro, it was a wild entry Jeez. into the business for sure. Yeah. What the fuck, bro? That, that's that's like the epitome of like trial by fire. Like that's just like, well, have fun, figure it out. Like, <laughs> it was the most stressful six months of my life. So I thought it was pretty dope because I was like, I'm gonna skip all the steps, right? Like I'm gonna. It's kind of cool to be able to jump to this like level of the industry without with five days worth of kind of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I literally didn't even know like how to order anything. I didn't have any contacts, and for about six months, I would just go to sleep and have the craziest work stress dreams you could ever imagine. I had this reoccurring dream where I'd be working in the coffee shop by myself and we decided to open like a barbecue concept at the same time. And there'd be a line of like 600 people and just me back there <laughs> cutting brisket and trying to make lattes. And I'd just be like, ah. 
And what? I had like the same dream over and over again for like six months. Wait a minute. Jeez. You say cutting brisket? Is that something that's that's like familiar with like a coffee shop? No, it makes no sense at all. I just love brisket. That's the only thing I could that brisket makes sense. Brisket is good. Brisket is good. I do agree with that. But it was stressful. Speaking of food, uh, real quick, I don't think I've ever had like, you know, those steaks where they like say, yeah, it's been marinated for three days and it's cut, it's uh, cooked to a perfect medium rare. Never had one of those. All of my steak experiences and brisket experiences have been not so good. So, I mean, that's a big, uh, I know it's a big dig to the brisket, my man, but I mean, I got to go, I got to go with the whole meats, you know, ham, you know, sometimes salami. What do you think? You're making a big mistake. First of all, yeah, brisket's where it's at. Brisket is one of the best things. But I'll tell you this. I, I'll tell you this. First of all, Cleveland has great barbecue. Sneaky, sneaky barbecue. So you just need to get out there and try some. But and Colorado gets you a little bit closer because there's some Texas-style stuff out here. But where mm-hmm. you're at is definitely a brisket desert. Where you're at is a salami place. I understand that. But you need to get yourself in front of a good brisket, and it will completely change your world. I mean, uh, probably not wrong. You know, I've never seen a buffet that I haven't absolutely dominated. So, um, you know, it, it – <laughs> be something to, to try for sure um but 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 Vinny, i mean so i mean look you get into coffee you know you take over this general manager thing really early so when does the move to colorado springs actually start kind of taking place like what went into that and then what made you think hey man i'm gonna move halfway across the country and it'll be okay yeah so that was kind of a part of the school thing so i was in this funny program part of the reason i switched to the church planting non-gardening um <laughs> Thing was that uh, basically the last year was like you can go wherever you want in the country and just do an internship. So I was like, yo, I don't have to sit in a classroom and sit in a desk. Like that sounds like a plan. So I basically signed up for the program for that. And then I got to pick anywhere I wanted to go. So um, I had previously lived in Washington State for a little bit. I was in Illinois at the time living outside of Chicago. And I was like, I want to go back to the mountains. Called the dude in Colorado. He's like, yeah, we have an internship that kind of fits. And I was like, done, dude, I'll be there. So I just, yeah, we just packed up all of our stuff and drove out there and moved to Colorado. Didn't know really a single soul and just kind of dropped in. Yeah. So then I spent one year kind of doing church stuff and that's when I kind of like backed out of it and then got the, got the opportunity at the coffee shop. Oh, that's cool. I mean, not church planting, not church gardening. I feel like it's going to follow me around uh, for a long time. So I appreciate yeah, that. I at least I'll make sure it follows you around for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think so with all that, like, so when... So with that whole that like becoming that general manager thing, is that's on top of all this internship, right? Yeah, dude, it was a really wild time. Like I kind of had some overlap. So I think that year I still preached like forty times and kind of kept like a part time place at the internship while in the midst of trying to learn Jeez. this entire chaotic disaster that was a coffee shop. But I mean, it was kind of dope because I was like, it was a ton of growth and a lot of experience. It was like the lottery, yeah. dude. I just took all the payments up front instead of like. Mm-hmm making the payments over a long period of time but it was yeah. complete madness yes just, just so how like so how did you go about attacking that like obviously like in, in like in the management world and like stuff like that there's the big like fight or flight sort of thing like what what kept you engaged in like in the thought process of i want to thrive at this like i want i want to crush this job versus being like a i'm this is like a hundred feet over my head. I got, I got a dip. Like what, what kept you driving on it? Yeah. I mean, for me, especially when it comes to like management stuff and I mean, in just my philosophy in life in general, it's like, I didn't feel the need to pretend like I was somewhere that I wasn't. There was a pretty mm. good team here in place. So I was like, you know, the first thing was kind of rounding up the core of people that had been there for a little bit and being like, 
all right, crew, like, I don't know anything about this, but I think like we could put together a pretty good thing if we give it some time. And I just relied really heavily on the people that had some experience. And it's the thing is I think when you step into a situation like this, it's like all humility. Like you can't pretend like you have something you don't. So I was like, I'm going to work really hard on like getting up to speed, but there's a ton of stuff I'm going to need help and help with that. Like a manager should be doing that. I'm just like not there yet. So Mm. I just relied really heavily on the really, really good committed people there. And that was really my approach. I mean, it was just like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do the fake it till you make it thing. Sometimes that makes sense. But in this, it was like, I just want to be honest and start building that relationship and just be cool. And just like, what do you guys need to do a good job? And then also know like on the back end, I'm going to be putting in the work to kind of catch up. Yeah, mm-hmm. for real. I always feel like coffee, uh, it's kind of weird to say, but I always feel like the coffee game is probably, uh, uh, not to, not to say con- sound condescending or anything, but like, it's kind of a snobby man's game. Like there's a lot, there's a lot of people, you know, a lot of, a lot of people that, that really hold coffee in high regard. Like it, obviously somebody that brews it like you, you see it a lot different than, than a lot of us do. You know, we just drink the coffee, but you're actually like working at it from the bean stage, like Ford, aren't you? Yeah. And that's kind of the trick. It's like, I, I feel like I can defend both sides. I hate coffee snobbery and spend most of my life. I feel like trying to work against that stuff like in our place like i don't maybe shane can testify to this but Mm -hmm. like my entire thing is like it's coffee it's cool i love it but we definitely try not to take ourselves too serious it's just coffee but at the same time i think that comes from the fact that a lot of people don't understand that it it takes a lot of work and it is really technical and sometimes the underappreciation of that is what creates that snobby attitude in people in the industry because people don't really realize the amount of work that goes into it so i think overall people can feel underappreciated but at the same time, dude, I hate the snobbiness. I think it's a cool avenue to like make people's day a little bit better, like make people a little happier than before they came in. And to me, that's really the focus and try really hard not to pretend like we're freaking superheroes. It's really mm-hmm. just coffee. Yeah, I mean, so well, I mean, yeah, go ahead, Shane. Well, I was going to say, literally, like, like you said, like I'm, I'm not like a huge avid coffee person. Um, I think that's like one of the things I'm super, super stoked about, like with us partnering up and stuff like that. Um you're like hold fast and peak place for that matter are very much reliant on the people of things, you know? Um, like I, like we always make the jokes about like me just drinking water and chocolate milk whenever I go to like stopping in there. But the reason why I feel comfortable doing that is because of the culture that, that is hold fast and peak place for that matter. So yeah, that's 100%. And like, so like, with you kind of getting thrown to the wolves and all this stuff. And like you said, like you were, like you were working your butt off to kind of be behind the scene or like to get your knowledge and your level of, um, you know, to be able to accomplish all these things that, that coffee demands. Did you have any, like any challenges like from like, like building respect, like with your team and stuff like that? Or like, what did that look like from like a person to person like perspective? Yeah. I mean, there was a couple people like right away. It was kind of the classic thing. I think, I read somewhere, um, I wish I could remember exactly where I found it, but it was basically like no matter what you do, 20% of people on earth aren't going to like you. Like it's just mm. it's just the way it is. And I think I had to accept the fact that when I took over the team, there was like, there was just a small group that it was like, it's going to be different and it's just not going to vibe. And I kind of let them know, like, you guys are great and I respect your legacy and your time. But it, I mean, I just basically it's going to be how it is. And if you don't like it, I'm not going to hate you. Maybe it's time to just start like peacefully looking for another option. So I didn't, I didn't want to make it tense and it's not their fault that stuff changed. They didn't ask for it, but at the same time, it's like, I need to make it my own. So of course you're going to yeah. lose people in that. And we did, but the core going forward was really cool, man. And that was the thing. I, I really have a lot of gratitude for like 
the amount of grace that was given to me of being someone who was able to actually learn on the job with people Mm -hmm. who had already been there and knew more than me. Cause that's such a brutal situation, dude. Like if the person like your leader is like less qualified and educated than you, it's just a tricky situation. But I feel like everyone was super dope about it. Everyone that kind of bought into the, like the vision of where we were going, but it was also cool because it gave everyone opportunity. I pretty Mm -hmm. much just like delegated like, Hey, you've always wanted to do this and like kind of innovate. Well, now's your chance because I literally don't know how to tell you no. Like it sounds like yeah. a good idea to me. So, yeah. yeah. I think what's cool is it gave people a shot to like try some stuff, you know? That's well, so would you compare like, because, like you, well, that ahead, kind Shane. of makes like a I was gonna say that, that's sick because it kind of makes like a thing where like uh, like me kind of being in a position of management where I work as well. The, the one of the big things is trying to, to create ownership with every single person that works that you work alongside um, and kind of being in a situation like that where it's like hey like I honestly don't know what the best option in here is what do you think that best option is it kind of builds like a from the top down ownership of the cafe of the roastery all of that fun stuff which then you know now years and years down the line is the reason why peak place and hold fast are the way that they are which I think that's that the, like that culture is a large testament to how you and that initial team responded to to those challenges. That's really really cool. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. It's been a huge thing. We have a very little turnover for the industry that we're in, yep. and I'm really proud of that because I think people can really find a sense of like growth. I mean, it's so hard because I always want there to be more, and I want to yep. do better with that always. But it is cool to see that people come into this just to try it out and stick around for two two and a half years pretty frequently. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think it helps just like trying to let people get a piece of it to try stuff out personally for their, for themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, would you compare being a roaster yourself? Like, like, would you compare, um, kind of being a, a coffee roaster to being, uh, kind of like a, a brew, uh, somebody that brews beer? Like, is it kind of the same process? Like you, you, you add different things to get different flavors. Would you compare those two things being like a coffee roaster and being like a guy that brews beer? I, you know what? Actually, if, if I had a better comparison, I would almost compare it more to wine if it mm. were closer to anything. And I also have to disclaimer, I don't do any of the roasting myself. Like I run the whole thing. And I do all the wholesale, but I can't take any credit here. We have an incredible team that does all the roasting because here's the thing. I like talking, dude. I'm an extrovert. And these roasters are amazing. They sit and look at a computer for like six hours straight. And I would complete my mind would just completely fall out of my head if I had to do that. The key, the key me it's graphs and it's science and it's math. And I love letting the roasting team handle that stuff because that is not the space you need me in. Um, but I know I know a bit about roasting, and I think it's more like wine because it's interesting. The way it works is you get these products from all over the world, and a lot like wine, what you're trying to do is just bring out the experience of what it was like and what it tasted like from the country it came from which is a very kind of wine style approach where beer, you're kind of adding this and that and kind of creating these recipes. And in our world, so much of it's being done on the other side of the world. And we're just trying to like bring out the best version of it and pass it out to everybody. I didn't even think about it like that. Like I'm not yeah, a that's- coffee guy. Yeah. I, I'm not a big coffee guy. Like, um, so like for me, like somebody that doesn't drink a lot of coffee, it's kind of cool to see, you know, pulling back the curtain a little bit and being like, Hey, there's more that goes into it. Mm-hmm. And then you talk about like, you know, getting beans. And I, I know hold fast uses beans from Guatemala and, and all these exotic places, which is really cool. So like in that process, do you just buy them straight from, I, I assume it's from a distributor, not in Guatemala, but from a distributor. But do you notice that like different parts of the world have different flavor of like a, a coffee bean? 
Oh, 100%. And there's super dramatic differences. Coffee from Ethiopia tastes nothing like coffee from Guatemala. And coffee from Papua New Guinea and in that region tastes completely different than the other two, which is cool. So, yeah, we work with a company called Cafe Imports, and they're called Importers. And they're awesome, man, because they have a staff all over the world that's tasting and also working with importers. And they're like, they speak the local language, they live in the neighborhood, and are helping kind of translate what the market's looking for in terms of like quality and taste to these people that are actually farmers. So it's a pretty wild thing because they bridge the gap between like third wave specialty coffee drinkers in America and like actual farmers, generational farmers in Guatemala. And they're kind of like the bridge between the two worlds because obviously it's super hard for us to like make that relationship work. So they are working with both sides of the equation and kind of like trying to match. It's like, what what are we looking for with this like awesome importer producer in Guatemala and kind of like making all the connections for us, which is super awesome. Yeah, for real. Man. You never that's think, awesome. That's so sick. You never think about it like that. And what a great way to put that, bridging the gap. This is just a great way to put that. Um, but um, so, okay, so so let's take this stance. I'm not a coffee drinker myself, but let's say that that I was kind of getting into it. You know, how would you compare what you guys do at Holdfast uh, comparatively to a bigger company, let's say Folgers? You know, how do you, like, what do you do differently that, that you would kind of pitch yourself this is what Holdfast does compared to a bigger company, you know, a more established brand, obviously. Um, but like, how do you compare what you do compared to like kind of the bigger guys? And like, do you notice that like um, there's a couple of different things that go in on it? Uh, people that just drink Folgers or just, you know, cheap coffee drinkers or whatever. Like what's that process kind of look like? Yeah. It's kind of a crazy comparison because there's like very little that we have in common, but I'm also not interested in like, telling people that like that, I think I would be like, Hey, try something different, but I'm not interested in taking Folgers drinkers and telling them never to drink it again. And that they're evil monsters. Like if you like it, you like it. And I think obviously interesting because people love familiarity, like in beer and wine and stuff, people like are a little more adventurous, but people that drink coffee are like, I just wanted to taste the same every morning since I was five. You know what I mean? So it's kind of, it's like a different world, but I mean, we differ literally in tons of ways. Basically, and like in the Folgers world, you have these like farms that are being farmed with machines. Basically, all the coffee we're using is still handpicked by like makers that are judging quality that way. Um, the amount that globally that we're paying farmers for their coffee kind of in a sustainable ethic way is obviously leaps and bounds above anything that you would find in like a Folgers thing. And freshness. Freshness is a huge thing. So like coffee ages, I mean, it's a fruit. Coffee is the pit of a cherry, the coffee bean. So once they pick it and that process starts, the flavor starts to degrade pretty rapidly. So we're moving really quickly in terms of getting the coffee to America, getting it to us, getting it roasted and getting it into your coffee pot. That process is months to years shorter than what Folgers is doing. So what you're experiencing with Folgers is a very sort of consistent, predictable version. But I think what you're experiencing kind of in our world is like a taste of what that product actually tastes like in the real world going through that crazy supply chain to go, I guess like in our world, it's seed to cup and you're kind of actually tasting what that experience is like instead of folders where it's just this kind of like very bland, but predictable, uh, consistent product. But that's also because it's just mass produced in the craziest way. Yeah. I think the, the really, really cool thing about like the specialty coffee approach to this as well is, and, and honestly, like I never thought about this until you kind of painted this picture is like, it's way more of like a lens into like nations cultures too. Like, it's not just like a, Oh, this is coffee. Like you kind of said about like, you know, the, the differences from all these different areas that you guys pull coffee from, like, 
yeah, like that's not that that speaks to their climates, their like like agriculture, like it's not just a like the taste of coffee, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I mean, when we roast the coffee, it's like you know, there's different philosophies in this. So if you were to talk about how we're different than like say a Starbucks, Starbucks labels their coffee based on how they roast it, French roast, Italian roast, and you're tasting what they're doing to it. That's why in like in our world, you'll see our labels don't say anything about the level of roast. They say where the coffee's from. Because we try to roast it just to the level where you can actually taste the origin and not necessarily our influence. Of course, we have our take on it, but the idea yeah. is to sort of highlight that process more. And in Starbucks, like they're talking about like this is the level we roasted it at. They're tasting their strategy. Yeah, exactly what you're saying. For us, it's way more highlighting some of the more inherent things that like happened months ago in a different country. Yeah, that's so cool. That's well, so dang cool. <laughs> well, like the, the way that I look at it, and I guess a question that I would have is, I feel like coffee drinkers are, are are weird. Not weird in the sense of like them being weird people, but like weird in the sense of like they know what they like. Coffee's one of those things that when you know what you like, you go for that every time. So, do you feel like as like you know, kind of uh, you know, a, a home based kind of you know roasting company? Um, do you feel like you kind of play from behind sometimes because you might not be able to, not in a bad way either, but just not deliver that, you know, you would if you would use, you know, the same kind of beans or whatever, but hey, why don't you try this? This is a more exotic bean, things like that. Do you guys feel like you're maybe playing from behind sometimes because you don't, you know, people don't know what to expect and and that could, that's a good thing because I, for me, I like trying different things. So that's, that's always a good thing for me. Yeah, no, what you're talking about is like, that's the dance we're doing all the time. So as a specialty roaster, we probably have a pretty wide range of of taste compared to most. We'll roast some darker stuff because we understand like in our market, it's pretty important. And my strategy has been like, if we're going to roast a darker coffee, let's have the best dark coffee you can have. And if someone comes in the cafe and they're like, I like vanilla lattes, I want us to have the best vanilla latte that they've ever had. And it's not necessarily about making the experience so narrow, but at the same time, there is a line where it's like, if you love the darkest Starbucks roast, I'm just not going to have anything that that's that comparable. And if mm. I give you the closest thing and you don't like it, I'm happy to shake hands and be like, yo, just go drink it. I, I don't want you to drink something you don't like. It's totally fine. Yeah. This isn't a battle. This is like, this is a communal thing. Yeah. I need, I need cutthroat Vinny though. I need this motherfucker <laughs> that's like, yo bro, if you think that my shit tastes like Starbucks, it just ain't happening. My man. We, Bro, we it, bring I think it tastes like shit, but I'm not interested in you never drinking it because I think it tastes like shit. If you want to ruin your morning, you, you're right, dude. I'm not <laughs> okay, there we go. There's the, heel turn. There's the heel turn we often talk about on the show right here. <laughs> Vinny just did it right in front of our eyes. I love it. I That's can't. But, but I guess like, and this might be like a super, super deep kind of like making a bigger of a deal of it than it, than it should be. But how do you feel like you're like the person that you are like how, how, how do you, how do you feel like that influences you from a day in day out perspective with like account managing, you know, overall like personnel managing, like how do you feel that whether it be your upbringing, being a Cleveland sports fan, like I know you have a mis- uh, like a history with doing like being in, involved in like hardcore music and stuff like that. How do you feel like the things that make you, you make you the best manager and kind of like, creator of like a culture and stuff like that oh dude that's a dope question i love that question i think (laughs) for me i think where the personality really lies is like and where all those things play is that our world can be so hip and like 
so aesthetic and the Instagrams are popping and stuff like that. But I mm-hmm. think like for me, I love living on the fringes, man. Being from those places and in those subcultures and all that stuff. It's like, like I just was training with a guy who's like been a military guy for a long time. And he basically is like, I'm going to throw away my entire retirement to open this coffee shop that me and my family can work at. And it might just be a complete joke. And I know nothing about coffee. Will you help? That's like my favorite stuff to do because mm. I don't really love like trying to be the coolest person or all that stuff. But like, I just love finding people that have a lot of skin in the game and have a lot of heart. And yeah. I just sell out for those people partially because of where I'm from, partially because of my personality and how I am. Rust and for Bell, me, the baby. whole thing is just like a search for that's what I'm saying, dude. Like if you have, if you have that heart, that like little twinkle in your eye and you're ready to grind, I will freaking do everything. If you're a hipster mm-hmm. and you want to just like, be cool. I had no time for that, bro. None. Can so I say you live on fringes? Can I say that you said let's grind and that was like a pun, but you I said no it. pun intended. Oh, that's good. That's actually I mean, good. I said that. I thought that same thing in the moment. Yeah. Are the worst. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I uh, I agree with you, Vinny. Uh, I think a lot, I think that gets lost in a lot of people uh, when it comes to anything that they do, you know, whether they like their job, they hate their job. They just don't do it with any heart, man. They, and and mm-hmm. you can tell the defeat on their face. And I got to say, man, like even now, like just walking into a place, if I'm greeted at the door, I'm just like, Jesus Christ, what do they got going in, on in here? Because I would like to help this business out because that's such a lost, it's such like a lost, like kind of thing that we do, you know what I mean? Just greeting people walking through the door, things like that, you know, simple shit. So to hear like a manager have that kind of attitude, it gives me a little bit of hope, gives me a little bit of optimism because I feel like, and and Vinny, you can probably attest to this. I kind of work uh, in a, in a people, I I work in a sales thing and I work, you know, face to face with people all the time. It, it takes a certain demeanor to work with people, but I feel like coffee is one of those things that, again, it's different than a lot of other areas because you are dealing with people that, you know, I've dealt with this same flavor my whole life. You know, their flavor palette might be a little, um, you know, just kind of relegated. So how do you deal, you know, how do you deal with that? Um, I mean, you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but like, as somebody that that is a people person, that, you know that you said earlier and, and things. So, how do you feel like that gives you guys kind of a leg up when it comes to um, just that personal touch you guys give that may be different than a lot of other you know home brews? Yeah, man. I think I think like, and it's really a hospitality question at that point. Is like I always want people to feel like when they come in that you're on their side. You know what I'm saying? When someone's like, mm. "I never had this before. I don't really know what's going on." I want the the experience I hope people get is that we go like that's dope. Let's try a few things and try to find the thing that you like the most here. And if mm-hmm. nothing, dang, but at least we are going to try everything. And I think it's important to like position yourself as like on the side of that person. And there's the thing that's tricky. I hate when you walk into a coffee shop and like the menu doesn't make any sense. You don't even know the words and they don't even help you. It's like, you have to go 90% and they'll go 10. And mm. I, in our world, I'm just trying to flip it to where it's like, we'll go 90. Can you just go 10 with us? And like when new people come in all the time, I'm like, they're like, oh, what's that new drink? I might not like it. I'm like, you should just try it. And if you don't like it, I'll literally make something else for free. But I want to encourage you to be like um, adventurous and try to experience stuff, but know that the mm. cost isn't like on you. Like let's share the burden together of this experience. Yeah. And I'm freaking on your team and I want you to have a good time. And I think if you can put yourself on the side of the other person, it just like cuts that tension and that pressure yep. a ton. And I don't understand. It's funny when you work in the people industry, like when you have those interactions, it's good for both sides. 
customers feel really good about that. But if, if you're doing that also as an employee, that's super fun too. If it's not fun, you get a different job, but like yep. miserable interactions suck for both sides and positive ones are good for both sides. So I always have been confused why people don't just like put in a little extra effort because it makes your job so much better. Yeah. Yeah. Because even when you're having like a crappy day or whatever, you know, and I, I'm definitely not somebody you should go to for like self-help tips. Okay. Because I'm a fucking basket case myself. But um, I think that, uh, you know, but but I put my, when I go to work, man, I put my game face on because I know, look, man, how I, how I act in front of people and stuff is a reflection of who I am. And, and if I don't like that person, then how the hell is anybody else going to like it? You know, how, if I don't put on, you know, just be like, you know what, like, my job sucks. I don't like it, but you know what? I'm going to try to make the best of it. Um, you know, and, and to hear somebody in a field be so passionate and still be so kind hearted. Like it's, I mean, that's one of the reasons that when Shane brought up working with you guys, like that's something I want to do. Those are the people I want to hold close to us. You know, mm-hmm. people that uh, care about what they're doing. And I, 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 I strive every day um, to, to make this podcast something where we get to the core of who people are. And I feel like we've really achieved that today. So bravo, Vinny. You went from a disgruntled Cleveland fan, somebody that I, that I highly, highly respect. And I'm very excited to work with you here in the coming, you know, just for the coming future. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Thanks, man. It's fun. We've never done anything like this. So it's the same thing. It's like, if there's, if there's that connection, I've never like, we've never thought about being in the podcast world, but it's more about that connection. If it exists, like let's freaking try some stuff, see what happens. Absolutely. I mean, and, and uh, yep. we're really, we're really excited to, you know, be a part, you know, kind of a working relationship. And we really hope you go check out hold fast coffee and, and everything that they do there. But before we get you out of here, Vinny, Shane, do you have anything else you want to talk about, man, before we get Vinny on, on down the road? I real quick, I, I want to, kind of open up the world for this one. So for your guys' roasts, if you were to say, because the thing I love that you kind of said there was that like, um, with like working alongside of customers, not working with, or like working against customers, if that makes sense. Like um, that opens up a really, really cool door where you're, you're not necessarily at that point, you're not selling something to someone. You're helping someone become more confident and kind of like, you know, and expanding and trying things. So with that, um, for someone who may not have any idea, I mean, honestly, okay, to, to Lance and I, because Lance and I both aren't really coffee people, um, what, like, what coffee that, that you guys offer, like, what, what would you say would be your, your, you know, your, your magnum opus that you guys roast and that you guys sell? Oh, that's good. I'll give you a couple categories because people are definitely looking for different things. We try to name them as helpful as possible. If you're looking for yep. something chill, nothing adventurous, just super easy. We have a we have a blend called Easy Street. It's literally called that because it's supposed to just be dependable, mild. It's so good. Check it out. Mm-hmm. If you want to live on the wild side, you want to just kind of like take a dive into the madness and it, just have the third eye opened in terms of your coffee taste. We have a coffee um, from Ethiopia. And you'll see it. The tasting notes are like floral and chocolatey. It tastes like a giant fruit bomb. It makes no sense. It doesn't taste like coffee <laughs> at all. So those are the two worlds. If you want to play it safe, go Easy Street. If you want to get crazy, get the Ethiopia. But I don't think you can go wrong either way. What's, what's, what's your daily driver? Um, bro, I mix it up all the time. You know, it's kind of one of those things where whatever's laying around the shop, I'll just drink whatever at this point because I just have so much all the time. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I'm to me, it's just the mood. You just gotta like, what's the vibe? If I want something chill, cold weather, I stick towards more easy street stuff. 
in the summer I'm drinking the fruity stuff, and that's kind of about as consistent as I get. God damn, son. That's I mean, come on here just talk about fucking coffee. You made it interesting for over an hour, and I'm proud yeah. of you. I'm very proud of you because you've done a great job here, Vinny. But, I mean, look, um, we could ramble on for days and days, but, you, I mean, Vinny, you got other stuff you want to do. But we're very excited about the partnership with Hold Fast Coffee. Mm-hmm. Make sure you check them out, holdfastcoffeeco.com, and uh, just check out what they got. Look, if you're li- living on the wild side, like Vinny said, try some Ethiopian. If you're more of a casual coffee drinker, um, you know, go for the easy street. So, Vinny, before we get you out of here, buddy, why don't you go ahead and just plug some stuff. You know, if you guys got any social medias, go ahead and plug that, and then we'll get you on down the road here. Yeah, yeah. follow us on Instagram. I think it's just at holdfastcoffeego. I don't run the Instagram. Social media stinks. If you want to see pretty coffee – pictures just go there um yeah but the website's where you can buy stuff other than that just like root for the browns mostly that's mostly what i want you to do i mean uh <laughs> you can't go wrong with that especially living in cleveland myself now i can i can i know that a lot of my confidants in the industry now will be very excited to hear that i had a cleveland browns fan on here so um but but yeah Vin, i mean it's fantastic talking to you you're super interesting guy which Look, I, I say that about very few people, and Shane can attest to that. Mm. I don't find people very interesting. I think that you brought a lot to the table, and we really appreciate you having on today. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. it was tons yeah. of fun. Absolutely. So, yep. uh, Vinny uh, is the manager of the Whole Fast Coffee Company and the newest uh, relationship partner of the Heel Turn Collective Radio Network. So, make sure you go check them out. We'll have details on how you can save a little bit of money and help a small business in the process. So, Vinny, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll have you on again soon. Sounds good, boys. Thank you. Thank you. Who would have thought you could make coffee interesting, but our boy Vinny Snyder did it mm-hmm. right there. And Shane, I mean, something I took away from that dude is, and, and we talked about it a lot last week in the archives with Matt Spencer. You know, We talked about the things that make people do what they do. And just hearing how much he cares about what he's doing just made me want to partner with him. And it's really, I think it's going to be advantageous for everybody. What What was the biggest takeaway from the interview you think you had the biggest takeaway I had was kind of the was the hospitality part that you talked about where it's like the um not looking at working with people as a like from like a customer service perspective not looking at that from a me versus you but like kind of a, a collaborative teamwork sort of thing um and I think that translates a lot to just overall how we communicate with other people not obviously not like only in a service industry thing but in general, I think we can kind of work together a little bit more versus working against each other. So I thought that was a really cool thing. Yeah, uh, that's one of my biggest pet peeves. Whenever you do anything in the service industry, you can tell a lot of people just don't give a shit and they, they act like you can just read it on their face. And so, I mean, I alluded it to like there in the interview and I alluded to it like um, it, it's one of those things where it, it's a lost art. Mm-hmm. You know, just that face to face interaction where you make people feel like they're actually wanted to be there. Yeah. Um, not everybody likes what they do. Not everybody's super stoked to get up every day and, and go to work. But uh, sometimes you just got to put your game face on mm-hmm. and just be like, you know, and we really appreciate Vinny giving us the time. Uh, make sure you hold, make sure you check out Hold Fast Coffee Co. Go to holdfastcoffeeco.com and use that promo code here, turn 20 and get 20% off. And, and look, not only that, though, I mean, you're helping the show, obviously, but you're also helping a small yep. business. I think is a good thing. I think that small businesses everywhere need um, any chance they get to get ahead. So please go check out their coffee. I mean, 
Um, Vinny talked about a lot of flavors that might fit your flavor profile. I'm sure, I mean, he's a super hospitable guy, and I'm sure he would love to talk to everybody about coffee and length. Yeah, so, no, absolutely. I mean, also, too, I think it goes to be this isn't just supporting a local business, this is supporting a good local business. Absolutely, um, actually, that has good core values, yeah. which is we've uh, seen, you know, obviously, like, I, like me being in Colorado Springs, we've seen how hold fast and um and peak place play a large a very very large role in our community out here and um i think one of my favorite my favorite parts about this partnership is it kind of gives us an opportunity to spotlight something that may not might not have gotten the the opportunity to be spotlighted um yeah absolutely so i mean and and Vinny sought us out you know mm -hmm. Vinny said you know hey let's do this partnership and and he took us under his wing and he said, you know what, Let, let's, let's sponsor the whole radio network, which we're really grateful for. Um, so you can hear the, uh, you can hear our relationship on every one of our shows, whether it be word up or bird up on Sundays, um, the heel turn collective, obviously here on Tuesdays and then one with the undercard on Fridays, you can hear it everywhere. Mm -hmm. And we're really excited about it. Um, it it's something that came organically yep. and something that we felt like it was really important for us to partner with a company that has the same great values, um, and they just, uh, they're just trying to get ahead up. So, mm -hmm. I mean, big shout out to Vinny Snyder. Uh, we're going to have him on the show again, talk more, you know, a little bit more about coffee. I mean, a lot of people are going to be like, how much can you talk about coffee all the fucking time as this guy's just shown. So <laughs> big ups to Vinny. Um, I feel bad for picking on for him so bad being a Browns fan, but, uh, what can I say? A lot of Cleveland fans deserve it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, Shane, before we get on out of here, buddy, obviously we got the heel of the week coming up, but, but right now, man, I kind of want to take you down, uh, something I noticed over the weekend. Um, I know you didn't watch a second of SummerSlam, man, but if you don't mind, I'd like to stand up on a soapbox. You, you have the floor, Lance. I, I would like to say a couple of things about, uh, SummerSlam. So, um, obviously on last Friday, the WWE, um, introduced Thunderdome, which is their new programming. Um, if you look at it, they're out of the Amway Center, Center in Orlando is where the Magic play. It's a big arena. Obviously, it's bigger than the Performance Center. But now there's virtual fans in the crowd. Uh, unlike baseball and basketball where they're like just superimposing them, they're actually fans um, that are uh, logged onto their computer and just are watching it live. And I read an article today where they actually have somebody um, – uh, they actually have somebody um, telling them when to cheer and things like that, which I, I think is fine at its face value because, look, at this point, any fans is better than no fans. Mm -hmm. So I'll take it any way I can get it. Uh, the wall of faces does look kind of weird when you're on the hard camera and you're looking in the ring. There's just like a wall of faces, which I think is kind of weird. A lot of them see out of tune you know, they're all looking somewhere else and they're not actually watching the match. It's kind of distracting, actually. Uh, the wide shot's very good. Uh, but anyway, so they present SummerSlam last night in the Thunderdome. You know, there was a lot of good matches on it. I mean, Seth Rollins and Dominic Mysterio actually had a really good match. It was Dominic Mysterio's first match ever. Um, and uh, it's just a wild ride to see Dominic Mysterio in 2005 when he had the ladder match for the the custody battle, which I can't believe I'm actually saying between Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero. And then here making his debut against Seth Rollins. Um, there's some talk about calling him Prince Mysterio and putting the mask on because Ray in Spanish translates to King Mysterio. That's so they're talking of, about giving. That's actually really, really that, 
that's really fucking sick. So like, uh, they're gonna you know throw the mask on him, uh, and he'll be Prince Mysterio, which I think is fucking that's so badass. Mm-hmm. And I think that that would go a long way in building that character up. Um, obviously Bray Wyatt winning the Universal Title, and then Roman Reigns making his you know his his comeback here at SummerSlam. He destroys both Bray Wyatt and. Braun Strowman, which I thought was a nice touch to end the show. Uh, but throughout, you know, you had some good matches. And, I, and I'll say, Shane, SummerSlam was probably one of the better produced COVID-era WWE shows. I mean, I, I don't think that I'm, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't watch the whole thing. You know, I'm not going to lie. I didn't watch the whole thing. But I feel like it, it, it again, it delivered in some spots, obviously under-delivered in others. Um, but overall, you know, just the matches that kind of took place, even Apollo Cruz and MVP for the U S title to open, I don't think was bad. Um, so it's, it's, it's good things, uh, being a wrestling fan right now. We don't talk a lot of wrestling on this show, obviously, whenever something just piques our interest. Uh, mm-hmm. if you do want to hear about AEW, please check out one with the undercard when me and our boy, Jay Johnson break down dynamite every single week. But, uh, with all that being said, Shano, it's time for the heel of the week, my man. Mm. And who, and who the hell, do you think the heel of the week is this week? Um, I don't know. Who is it? It's got to be Tom Brenneman. Yep. Yeah, pretty uh, easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty easy one. All right. This guy. Okay, so for those who don't know who Tom Brenneman is, he's the number two at Fox to Joe Buck. So when Joe Buck's calling the World Series, Tom Brenneman is in the booth with Troy Aikman, the number one Fox football team. That's mm-hmm. all out the window now, bro. That's all out the window yep. now. All of the years, you know, his dad was a broadcaster. All that, all that hard work is gone because this guy doesn't know to not say stuff around a hot microphone. And for a broadcasting veteran, yeah, for that's, somebody that's, that's pretty, uh, pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah, like it's like it's not like it's accidental slip. Like, and if you haven't heard what he said yet, you know, um, go on YouTube. I'm not going to play the clip here because. God damn it, those words shouldn't be in our vocabulary. Yep. And the fact that he's still saying this is fucking mind-blowing mm-hmm. to me. But um, this guy, though, a veteran broadcaster, somebody who um, you know should know better, hits the hot mic, says something that's some pretty racy shit, man. And for that, man, he's the heel of the week well, this week. Well, it's not only, that's, not, that's not the sole reason why he's heel of the week. It comes out yesterday that he didn't know that that word had hatred and and like and th- like like deep deep seated like anger like in it. And it's just like you're lying. That's a direct quote, buddy. Like, and I read the article. That's a direct quote. This dude backpedaled so fucking fast. Well, you know, he didn't even backpedal. He just jumped off the bike. Like it's like you didn't like you like you either are lying. Or you're one of the dumbest people walking the planet. Um, we're gonna go with the former. We're gonna go with the former for sure. Um, but yeah, it's a thing where it's you know when I even saw like I think there were some Reds players that apologized for it. Like it's just yeah, and I think the other thing too, the other thing too, where it's like, and we're we're gonna get this is gonna enter into a rant world a little bit here, but the like his on air apology was. One of the funniest things I've ever seen. Obviously, the the like I don't condone what he said at all. That's horrible, tainous. Never, like Lance said, should not be in our vocabulary. But that the apology sounded like 
him being like, well, what am I in trouble for? Like, it didn't sound genuine at all. It like, um, he, and then also him calling a, calling a home run halfway through his apology is hysterical. Um, Jesus Christ. The most pitiful home run call of all time. There's a home run. Um, anyway, I'm probably never going to be on a microphone. Literally says that in the apology. Um, and like the other thing too, is like the part where he's like, Oh, like, you know, I'm a man of faith, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, yo, like this is a fundamental no then. Like, uh-huh. and the, like I, the thing with me where I'm just like people who drop hateful things, uh, like in, on their platforms and then backpedal with the, like, this does not represent the man that I am. Yes, it does. Um, once it leaves your mouth and you say something hateful or like, or just insensitive like that, like that is your character. I like, especially if it's from like 15 minute, like prior to that, like that's your character. You like, sorry, buddy. Like you shouldn't have a, you shouldn't have a platform. You shouldn't have a microphone. Get off the air. Like, I, I don't feel bad that you're losing your career. See you later. Wow. Shane really going hard here yep. uh, this week. Jesus Christ, man. I Tom Brenneman is a great announcer oh. and I might not go I might not <laughs> I might not burn his effigy, you know, like like Shane is right now, but I, obviously uncalled for, obviously inappropriate in, in any cycle. I've never liked that word ever, by the yep. way. Never thought it was I don't know. I guess I just uh I just care about people too much and I just, you know, what a I just don't think that we should be putting anybody I know what what a concept. So, uh, but yeah, Tom Brenneman, congratulations on joining the prestigious list of the heels and of the week, which the last couple of weeks have included Corey Taylor, which I thought I'd never say. Yep. At the moment, I think he might be on the heel podium for all the episodes so far. So he'll just be the heel. That'll yep. just be what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, these the heels it's like the Heisman of the heels. <laughs> right now, the heelsman, dude. The heelsman. <laughs> Look at that. The Heelsman, Tom Brenneman, congratulations, the Heelsman. So, um, yeah, Shane, I mean, let, let's uh, let's wrap this joint up, man. Let's get out of yep. here. But uh, make sure you're checking out the Heel Turn Collective Radio Network. We got shows three times a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm on all three for some reason, but that but that's okay. Sunday we got Word Up or Bird Up with me and our boy Jordan Dukes. We talk about all kinds of shit. How that show hasn't been canceled yet. Still beyond me. Um, Tuesdays, obviously, the Heel Turn Collective Podcast, <laughs> your flagship show of the Heel Turn Collective Radio Network. And mm-hmm. we have one with the undercard with me and our boy Silky J. Johnson. Uh, we talk yep. about all things AEW Dynamite every single week. Mm-hmm. Um, so make sure you're checking that out. Make sure you're checking out our sponsor, Hold Fast Coffee Company. I'm not going to say that enough. Yep. Because I love the guys and I feel like we should all be supporting each other and it's a great small business. So make sure you check out the whole fast coffee company. Mm-hmm. Use that promo code. He'll turn 20, get 20% off your entire purchase. Help a small, a good small business in the process. Wouldn't you say Shano? Uh, 100%, 100% agree with that. Absolutely. So make sure you're checking them out. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, at Collective Heal on Twitter, at Rain Shiley on Twitter, let us know your thoughts. You know, whenever you're listening to the podcast, wherever you consume it, uh, make sure you're rating it. Mm-hmm. Uh, give us uh, what you think of, uh, of what we are. You might think we're the biggest pieces of shit on earth. I welcome that. Uh, I welcome that all yep. the time. So, recommend um, some heels of the week. Um, 
Absolutely. Yeah. So if if you think there's somebody in your life that should be the heel of the week, make sure you hit us up on Twitter and make sure you're giving the Facebook a like. Let us know again what you like, what you don't like. Make sure you check out our sponsor, Hold Fast Coffee Company. And with that being said, nerds, um, I mean, until next week, guys, I'm Lance. He is Shane. And until until we see you again, arrivederci, my friends. I don't know what that means, but see ya.